and gentlemen, our creative writing process has been at an impasse of late, so I've brought on some veterans of other industries. Well, our stories lack realism. Where are all those medical supplies coming from that you buy? It's time to make clear what went into every little thing in a medieval doctor's repertoire. I think the whole process of getting a room for the night is too rushed. People think you can just walk right in without getting a key, and that you can just leave everything behind where the cleaning stuff might want it. Now, learning new skills is far too easy. People should have to go to night school for weeks and pass tests before they know things. The financial part of this is completely ignored! Before there were banks, people had to take their money everywhere, and it weighed something! Let's not have gold be weightless anymore. We aren't examining the proper legal repercussions to anything either. When you kill enemy soldiers, their families might sue you, or you might get hunted by Interpol. Just so you know, we're going to use all of these ideas. It's the only way to get out of our boring rut. I'm going to read my line again because my stupid cell phone went off right when I was talking. <clears throat> I think the whole process of getting a room for the night is too rush. People think you can just walk right in without getting a key, and that you can leave everything behind where the cleaning staff might want it. Your backlog, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the RPG backtrack. It's continuing mission to explore games from the way back when, right up through yesteryear. To seek out forgotten games and neglected classics. To boldly discuss what you have not played before. RPG Backtrack, the longest-running podcast about your favorite RPGs of the past. Get ready for in-depth discussion of plots, characters, gameplay, and more from the staff of RPGamer.com. Here are the hosts of RPG Backtrack, Bill Willis and Mike Minky. And welcome to RPG Backtrack. I am Phil Willis, and this is the one and only, the awesome Mr. Mike Minky. Well, thank you for giving me such a positive attribute. I'll I'll happily take it. Uh, that's that's what we're here for. All about giving out the positive attributes. And uh, boy, we got a bunch of people to help us give out positive attributes about a special series of games. First up, we have Ms. Casaja Ramos. We have Mr. Lion. Wait, Hello. What? Oh, <laughs> just your local uh, Lucas Main and Super Smash Brothers ultimate here. We have Miss Relly. Like either way. Ate, ate way too many skip sandwiches. And we have, uh, well, we have Mr. Uh, Matt, I believe. Yes, there we go. Uh, it's hilarious that you forgot enough 
that you couldn't mess it up. You just had to go with Matt for once. Just had to go with my notes here. I have Mr. Oh, yep. I, I thought he was still new guy. Well, I forget. That. There's so many new guys now. I've lost track of which one's which number. I think I was like the original new guy because then we had like the new new guy. I, I was ancient new guy. And then we have what I graduated to. I was ancient, ancient new, guy. new guy. And then we have another new guy that's joining us later on. I can't keep track of all these new guys. Fresh blood. Right? Fresh blood to talk about old games such as the Earthbound or do you want to call this the Mother series? Motherbound. Motherbound yeah, series. Motherbound. Mother right. We're going to be talking about not one, not two, but three Motherbound games tonight. Aren't y'all excited? That's Very all much. Much. I know I am. Yep. <laughs> well, good. Uh, since we got so much to talk about, we're going to jump right into it. We're going to put on some diddly music that one of y'all is going to recommend to me. Uh, and then we'll come back and jump right into it with our main event. So hold on tight. Smile and say fuzzy pickles. This is the main event where we take a game or a series of game and uh, games and we do a deep dive. As I mentioned earlier, we're jumping into the Earthbound series. And uh, we're going to kick this off by talking about the first game, officially known outside of Japan as Earthbound Beginnings. Of course, they call it Mother back in the homeland. This was uh, developed by Ape. Is that right? Yes. Okay. Yes, it is. They became Creatures Inc. Published uh, by Nintendo, this was originally released in Japan for the Famicom system July 27th, 1989. 
and then we got it worldwide on the Wii U on June 14th, 2015. This is a single-player RPG experience. Did it come out? Wait, wait Phil. Does Wikipedia mention that it was bundled with Mother 2 for the GBA? Mm, I mean, it has a GPA, but it listed only in Japan. Did it? Did it? That happen in America? Yeah, no, only in Japan. That that was only in Japan, but it was still a re-release. Which yeah, there you go. You know, the, Nintendo didn't localize any Mother things from GBA for us, so yeah. Did <laughs> did did they did they get it later on in like the, the, the here? in america did we ever get something on like the 3ds or something for that nope i think it's yeah we you own we only for both games yeah um yeah we you only um earthbound did come to the 3ds okay it did but not but not so totally totally a system seller boys and girls i will be putting my wii u up on ebay for the small price of six hundred dollars so you can experience this class it comes preloaded because i I totally bought it purchase it Still, it's not down. <laughs> uh, yeah, that shop is still open, right? Yeah. It's the Wii yeah, shop that got shut down. Yeah, it's the Wii that got shut down. Huh? Yeah, but where the hell are you going to find a Wii U these days? Come on. No one's selling theirs. Hey, I saw one you in a pawn shop. have mine. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's one My reason to hang on to the gets Wii. interesting things. That is one reason to hang on to the Wii U, I suppose. So, so who wants to talk to me, uh, give me kind of a briefish overview of the story behind uh, Earthbound Beginnings? Okay, I think I'm the only one who's played the whole game, right? I yeah. Know, much as touched it. So, yeah. Earthbound Beginnings, as you already heard, it had a pretty tumultuous history outside of Japan. Fun, just to start off with that. So, it was going to be localized. They finished a prototype of the game and it's going to be released in 1991, but the Super Nintendo was on the horizon and Nintendo thought, yeah, this is probably not going to especially such an oddball game like this, so they just... Particularly, that, that might be related to the uh, the vast overestimation of Dragon Warrior sales that Nintendo made earlier. <laughs> yeah, and this, I mean, this game was a, a, a parody of Dragon Quest and other RPGs at the time, so... I have to say Dragon Warrior because at that period, what was it? The, there was a D&D trademark yeah, yeah, that it was so. infringing on. A board game. Yes. A board game. So it had to be Dragon Warrior for a long time. So, and before the the finally official Wii U release, there was a prototype that was uh, purchased by like, purchased by collector. Somebody got a hold of, asked them for it so they could dump the ROM and made a slight hack of it, and that's what's been available on the internet, unofficially as Earthbound Zero for a year. And yes, I, I, I did play that version at one point. I did play through the Wii U version. I even have the GBA, uh, the, the imports GBA for both Mother 1 and 2, but I did play that back in the day. And the uh, w- the Wii U virtual console version is identical to the to the ROM. It's They didn't touch it up. There's some weird little grammar niggles here and there. And they didn't bother to, like, fix that, which I guess is not a big... And it's actually a really good localization for the time. Like, no, a winner is you here. Well, good localization <laughs> for 1991 is still setting the standard fairly low. I suppose. But it was, it, it was pretty easy for the time. So, anyway, with that little bit of history out of the way. Uh, so, the story, like, ostensibly, Earthbound Beginnings is a simpler version of Earthbound for Nintendo. You have... A bunch of kids, and one of them psychic. Two of them that uh, Nintendo and Ness look nearly identical. Unofficially, Nintendo's given a scarf sometimes. Uh, they go out to collect eight melodies to stop an alien invasion. Uh, Earthbound Beginnings, though, has this opening text uh, that explains that in uh, like back in the early 1900s, 
a couple, George and Maria, mysteriously vanished from their homes in America, not Eagle Land, America. Go figure. And then only George returned several months later. Maria came back and then he locked himself away in his home with doing some kind of strange research, but nobody's heard that nobody stood what. And then you flash back to the present. Ninten is in his room and he's attacked by a doll. Uh, the, and he's attacked by a lamp first. And then he leaves the room and is attacked by a doll in his sister's room. The doll contains the first of eight melody. And he gets a phone call from his father, just like an Earthbound. His father never, sh oh, okay, no, almost never shows up on. But he does talk and say, hey, you know what? That sounds weird. I think a pol there's a poltergeist in it. Maybe it wants you to find something. Why don't you check the basement? I think there's something weird there. Have fun on your journey. Um, so when you go down in the basement, you find a notebook belonging to Nintendo's great-grandfather, uh, George, and he, it, 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 it tells you to, it, it, to say something weirdly cryptic, and I, and then, but it's supposed to steer you towards the, your next objective, to get to magic. And from there, I mean, the story itself is really scant, even though it has a very interesting beginning. Uh, so you have to go through there into objective. You have to find the eight melodies. Uh, you go to Magicant, which is different from the Earthbound one, rather than like being a wacky land. It's this peaceful place full of pink clouds and giant shells and people that look like wizards. Uh, there's a cat that somehow swims in the ground and other wacky things. Series trademark. Wacky hmm. things, not so much swimming cats. Um, and in there, there's they're ruled by someone named Queen Mary. And she says she's trying to remember this song, but she can't. For some reason, if Nintendo could please find the eight melodies, then something will happen. Like I, like the story doesn't fully explain why they need these eight melodies. It doesn't even fully explain that there is an alien invasion, but there is weird stuff going on. Zombies rise out of the grave. Animals are going crazy, going crazy. Objects are becoming possessed and attacking people, but otherwise, there's no obvious Asian. Uh, you go around collecting the eight melodies. And if you bring him back to Queen Mary, she suddenly remembers that she used to be Maria, married to George, and how they were abducted by aliens and taken up to take care of a baby alien named Guy. And although Guy to like Maria, for some reason he just absolutely hated the song, the lullaby she would sing, Eight Melody. And from there, from getting her memory back, she magic can't fade. And you have to go up to a, a mountain, a really difficult dungeon, <laughs> Uh, Mount Etoy at the uh, localized. And you go up there and you find Gige's alien spaceship. There's some other, I mean, there's a lot of minor stuff, but I think I'll just score that for now. I think it's, it is actually called Mount Etoy in the Japanese I, I it because. Like, I, it's like, isn't it like Holy Lowly Mount? I know it's named for Etoy because. It's, yeah, yeah, he's the. the you want to make it get an yeah. obvious, I'm the designer of this game note in there. <laughs> yeah, but I think it's actually called the Holy Lee Mountain in Japanese which is kind of funny that they differently. Anyway, you climb up, you find a spaceship, and inside the spaceship is Guy, who is the, apparently is the same as Gygus and Earthbound somehow. Uh, it, supposedly, e, uh, there's apparently at least a few interviews where Etoy says, yes, they are the same character, but how, he never explains. Weird, spindly alien that bears, I would say bears a striking resemblance to the Pokemon Mewtwo. But since this game predates Pokemon, it's probably it may very well be the other way around. Uh, but how this became a weird, foggy red cloud of evil that may or may not look like a fetus, depending on who you ask, they never explain. Anyway, anyway, to become a to begin a series tradition, the kids can oh, and of course I didn't. Uh, I guess I'll introduce the character. The kids try to fight Gage, but they can't damage him. But they can sing. And every time he sings, he yells at them saying, stop, stop singing. Stop that. And after, 
after a few times you're able to sing the whole song he gets driven away from earth but he swears vengeance saying that he will return take over the supposedly he wanted to take over the earth because they stole secrets from people but and then there's a so yeah it ends the kids go back home everybody their parents were kidnapped several there was a I skipped over the section where there's a whole town young town that's just nothing but children because all of their parents were kidnapped by aliens they were freed from their captor uh to a hero's welcoming but then there's one last screen you see this strange man you see his back he's in a big coat and a hat and he's trying to phone saying come on Nintendo, pick up the phone please think crazy's happening if that's a reference to earthbound maybe but honestly the, the, if there's a connection between these games and they've never it's not it's not eagle land Nintendo's is not ness Gee is so very looks so very different but yeah you start off with Nintendo is the main character mostly uses his bat he does have some psi ability healing some offense some uh stat boosting ability uh next to join him is a gray-haired kid named Lloyd, who is, who I guess is sort of like, I would say the Jeff lookalike, but of course there's no way around, Jeff is not him. He uses bottle rockets and other gadgets during battle, but he's nowhere near as you Jeff is. How about the Jeff prototype? I guess, yeah, the Jeff prototype is Lloyd. Prototype. And it's actually fun. You, you find him, <laughs> you find him in a garbage can actually in a school somewhere to find him because he's so, because he's such a wimp, he's picked on by the kids, so he hides in the trash. You have to lure him out by going into this giant dungeon to get a bottle rocket so that he'll like, oh, okay, I'll join you. Uh, let me play with that. And you blow up this, the school room and he's just like, okay, let's get out of here. Nothing's up in that again. Uh, it's not like the fact much. After that, meet Anna, which is the proto, the proto Paula in this case. He says she's seen Ness in her dream, and Ninten in her dreams and knows that she needs to join them. Later on, you get, I guess, what's supposed to be a cute scene of the two of them dancing. But again, it's not like the story's very, it's not like you get a lot of character development. So it's just like, okay, I guess that's romantic music. Um, and then after that, although you get th a slot for three party members, there is a more or less fourth member, uh, Teddy, who's a street gang thug, who challenges Ninten because I forget exactly why they go up on the stage at one point and sing, and then Teddy wants to fight him, and then when he, and then when Ninten defeats him in battle, he says, okay, I'll, let me join your party. I want to get revenge for my parents because they were killed by monsters on Mount Etoy. Something text. He doesn't. He's very strong, but he doesn't last that long because when you get to the top, near the top of that mountain, uh, not not to the absolute top, but near the top of the mountain, he's a, there's a this giant robot that attacks him. They cannot damage the robot, but Jeff comes with a tank and shoots down the robot, defeating it. But Teddy is injured in the. Uh, in the explosion, he's fine by post game, but there's a, of course a joke going around that Jeff did it on purpose so he could reclaim his spot in the party. <laughs> and yeah, that's the characters. You, you are joined temporarily by a girl named Pippi. The beginning of the game is there. Anything else? Like, what could come? As? Oh, uh, in that same town, I forget exactly what it's called, where you meet Teddy. This is just a, this is like some random stuff. This is, this is, this is, this is Earth, this is Earthbound Beyond. No, uh, I distinctly remember this. I guess it'll stay on the same track. In that same town, there's a woman in like a bar and she says that she'll buy you a drink if you say yes the police the kid and then you have to stay in a jail overnight and you have to buy back your equipment because he takes it and then and before that there i think that's why because when you check it out the game is on the on the virtual console it's some time before a woman says how they're building a strip joint somewhere in the city and she's protesting and i think the japanese text does imply she means a uh, strip club not a strip mall yeah i guess that's story well, it's an NES-era game. Story was not a huge component then. 
it's it's fairly substantive and it's a, it's a pretty interesting and relatively alien alien kidnaps people people raise it alien still wants to get revenge because maria somehow escaped but didn't because she wound up in magic ant how bother to explain who knows but yeah, it, I, I kind of liked how quirky it is, even though it's weird. See, I never touched this one because I heard that it was really hard. It's hard, yes. This game, grant grinding is mandatory. Just to leave the beginning area, you have to be a minimum of in my experience. Just walk around Nintendo's house, beating up as many as you can, and run back into the house to get healed. Because you're not going to have much money at that point to go. Yeah. Uh, it is pretty dang hard. Uh, encounter rate is all over the place, depending on where you are. It's very difficult to run away. Grinding um, wasn't uncommon for these games, though. No. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's yeah. part of the course, but you know, Earthbound, especially for uh, SNES Earthbound was uh, pretty notorious for it. I mean, if you get to a certain spot, uh, you'll end up with you know a situation where you can't beat it. But yeah, this game is pretty similar. You'll you'll want to grind spots. I I don't know what the minimum might be, but I was level forty before taking. I think you can go up to 99, but I don't know why you'd want to. For the ROM, I believe there's at least a few hacks that fix this by increasing, like decreasing the encounter rate and increasing experience and money again encounter. But of course, you're not going to get that on virtual console. Mm -hmm. I guess, yeah, the battle system's pretty simple. It's uh, it's just, it, it's turn-based. Uh, you can take, hit the attack. You can use different psi abilities whether for healing or for attacking, you can use now, a certain Isn't items. your inventory space even oh, more constricted than an Earthbound? Very. Oh, very. Oh, so very. Man, that was that is definitely my most dated part of this game, is that tiny inventory, especially since key items and equipment, of course, take up slots. They don't get their own separate thing. They take up slots when you really want at least a few healing items and maybe and other and whatever other things you might need but no it's just like why is my equipment taking up space please don't take a dang it yeah that's a theme throughout this it's kind of annoying yeah i mean well mother three largely is this but yeah earthbound was not as bad but still pretty bad about it. uh but yeah it's a, it's a relatively simple battle system the the rolling number hp numbers do not come in yet you know smash and forth smash uh, and yes uh criticals are still shown by a smash on screen uh the enemies are not quite as wacky as later installments. You do get a couple of oddballs. Obviously, you get attacked by a lamp and a doll in the beginning of the game. There are hippies. Not New Age Retro hippies. Just regular hippies, apparently. Uh, there are evil, or possessed, perhaps, trucks and cars. Oh, Nintendo gets a unique uh, gets a unique status ailment, asthma, if by, if one of these uh, cars, like, breathes smoke on them. Uh, you get, there's, like, even, like, there's a plain, there's, like, a, a normal-looking bat, but the but some of the the things that Bat does is kind of funny. Like Bat is confused. Bat is having an existential crisis. So some of that early humor still comes in there. Now the backgrounds look like also Dragon Quest, don't they? And that it's just a big black screen, a yeah. black void with the enemy. Yep, yep. Basically, you, you see the enemy sprites or a few enemy sprites, and that's it. No fancy background. Both exchange blows. I mean, the enemy sprites are kind of are fairly. I mean, the, the sprites themselves are fairly intricate. For an NES game, of course, a lot of color. One uh, of the but... things I've always liked about this uh, series in general was the taking the um, status effects of a JRPG and kind of Americanizing them. Um, so, you know, instead of having uh, paralysis or something, you have things like asthma or feeling strange and things like that. Or feeling homesick, though that's the later game. I, I, think, yep. I think the asthma is, I'm trying to remember, I think the asthma one is the the bats having an existential crisis counts as a status enemies. 
of the woods. And then, oh yeah, there's just a dragon in Magicant because why not? It's an RPG. Have a dragon. The dragon also has one of. Uh, there's a vocal version of that eight mel chat here. It's kind of pretty. I kind of, although kind of childish. Uh, the music, I guess I kind of jumped around here, but the music itself is pretty good for an any, at least I think. Uh, they're just, they're really catchy and there's that vocal soundtrack that they released, uh, the, that Japan released back in the day that has a lot of ca songs that are catchy, cheesy for sure, but catchy. But even the original like NES versions of the track would be good. And uh, I guess what else? I, I guess I don't have much else to say. Yeah. It's a fun game and I, I, I like, I really like how charming this is. Yes, the other two games are better and while I don't like this game more necessarily, I do have a special, I have a soft spot for Earthbound Beacon. super charming and it's easily my favorite. Game. Well, I think it's interesting to note that this one was created in a year and a half at most, whereas Earthbound had five years of development and Mother 3 took, geez, 10, well, 11? Well, Mother 3 also kind of ran into a brick wall in the N64, so it had to restart. <laughs> it did, but... I'm going to assume that all of that work was not just flushed down the toilet and some of its, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, but... some of the experiences of the developers were passed along. Oh yeah. And, and I think the story is largely the same, I think. Uh, but yeah, so, but yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a super charming game. If you don't mind like old school, they're very old school JRPG, grindy JRPGs, you might like this. I, I, again, I think it's quite charming and it, it, you could see a lot of the sense of humor that shows up later in the series, as well as some of the, like the weird, like sort of the quirk and the quirkier moments, lots of it. And again, pretty good localization for the time. And and despite the fact that it has one of the most frustrating inventory things and it's got some grainy, you're like, this is your best NES game. You're like, this is your favorite NES game. Yeah, fine. Again, maybe I'm just a weirdo, but I, or maybe and it's just a weirdo, but yeah, it's my favorite. I played through the game three times at this point. Oh, wow. Okay, well, there you go. Okay, well, uh, go grab your Wii U. <laughs> you know, everyone's got one. Because um, there's no way you'd want to play that on an emulator, right? <laughs> no, no, just buy a Wii U. Um, cool. Well, we're going to take a, a break. Thank you very much. Unquestionably Nintendo's most successful console. Right, right, absolutely. It's Nintendo Saturn. That's what I like mm. to call it. Well, then what's Nintendo's Master System? Uh, Game and Watch. I don't oh. know that it works for that. That was that was a bunch of things. You might be right. Thank you, Miss Cassandra. We're gonna take uh we're gonna take a little break because we have so many musical selections. I want to get some of those in, and we'll come back to continue this with Earthbound. Hold on tight. <laughs> Thank you. 
We have returned and we're ready to jump into Earthbound, developed by APAL Laboratory, published by Nintendo. This was released on the Super Nintendo in North America on June 5th, 1995. A single player RPG experience that comes with a free hint guide. And you're going to need it. <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> I, I will never let, let's cards. be clear here. This this is no mere hint guide. This is the size of a magazine. It's something over a hundred pages. It's very well written for the time. It's more in the style of a travel brochure than a straight up hint guide. And yes, if you get the game as it was originally sold, then you will not have to use any facts because you will have this gigantic hint guide right there that tells you exactly what you need to be doing. Oh, I need to be. This is how I get out of Magic Hand. Oh, I didn't know that. That's very interesting. Thank you, hint guide. Yeah, one thing I forgot also, to mention maps, it is maps are very useful in that hint guide. Oh yes, they are. So you're saying that this game is obtuse for a reason? I mean, the, the previous I'm game was that pretty obtuse. I bought it off. I bought it off eBay. I forget when. 2000, 2001, one of those, which was it was still more than its original price, but not to the level of now, of course. <laughs> and it came with the hint guide, and I. Absolutely no reason not to use this hint guide that had been provided with the game, so I was just following along, and thus I didn't have any trouble. And if other games did that, then I would probably say that they don't need hint guides because they already came with them. And Phil, I think we can both come up with some instances of games where if a hint guide had been included, we would have slightly more positive feelings towards the game than we do now. Oh, yes. Yeah, right? Just imagine if a certain game that rhymes with Mark Liar came with a 150-page hint guide. I use that in air quotes. That should have come with. I was, th I was thinking of that one plus another one that I seem to recall you getting angered about. It was a Castlevania title. Does this ring any bells, Phil? What? No, every Castlevania game is awesome. Everybody loves Castlevania. Even the one where you were trying to find that uh, that last villager so you could get the second half of the game? Stupid villagers. They all should die. <laughs> Kill all the villagers. Kill them all if I can find them. I, I remember back in the day seeing, seeing this game in the stores everywhere with that weird huge packaging and just have, having no idea what it was or read the packaging. I don't know if anybody else went through that as a kid. Yeah, I might have seen it once at a Toys R Us. I, 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 this, I, I didn't know about this game until Smash Brothers, so... It probably yeah, should be... Oh, sorry. Uh, I was just going to say it probably should be noted that even though it came with the guide... I don't know that it was as important as having like, like if you buy it used without the guide, it's not like Metal Gear Solid buying the disc without the case. Like you won't be that lost. Hopefully that reference isn't lost on everybody. No, I, I get what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, I remember uh, walking through the local Target and finding this game brand new, all of its glory and the big old packaging and i i guess i had seen it in a nintendo magazine nintendo power magazine and uh, yeah i had to, i had to have i bought it or my, my parents bought it you know i still have the strategy guide uh, yeah it, it's really nice and uh, yeah without the strategy guide i i would be i love this the scratch and sniff cards they were glorious yeah i wish i still had them uh yeah i tore them out and smelled them and they were all a horrible smelling you know there's like <laughs> vomit well paula smelled good and yeah, um, I remember the I remember the in-game 
and magazine advertisements. This game stinks. Yeah, I remember those too. <laughs> yep. My favorite parts are definitely all the stock images. Like there's some lady dressed in like 80s outfit here for the grand opening of the department store. And I, I gotta guess that there were a lot of toys made for this game in Japan because some of the players and some of the images here definitely look like images of a physical toy. Those were clay models, I think. Yeah, they yeah, had clay or models. Or that. Right. Okay. Yeah, there were, yeah, Mother uh, Earthbound Beginnings had clay, like a lot of clay models instead of regular artwork, too. That's just... This definitely... Yeah, until Mother 3, that was like a... Okay, yeah, looking at them, that definitely looks so... Because I'm like, these don't look like... I mean, obviously, they're not anything like they look in the game. Mm -hmm. But yet, the way that you mentioned that, clay models, that looks exactly like what they are. Yep. So, yeah, cool. that's a, at least the, for the first two games, that was just... That's how they show their artwork. Very little in the way of, like, actual like, on-paper 2D sketches and more 3D clay models. It played really, really well into the whole americanized version of an rpg though i i oh, loved yeah. everything about the aesthetic um and i think that was the premise was they were trying to you know when when we talk about it being a, a i guess a parody of rpgs um they were almost parody making a parody of america um you know from the town names to the things that you buy i mean you go to the food stores and you buy hamburgers and french fries not you know potions and ethers or something like that so uh the clay models and and the weird quirky enemies and things like that they all kind of fit with that yeah uh, and tucson what? being a pun for tucson arizona yeah this is much more so because they were trying to do that in Arizona, that but it's it, it was it was definitely realized by found the sort yeah. of parody of both americana and jrp and of course yeah i went from earthbound i went from earthbound to earthbound zero slash beginnings and it it felt like i was playing uh like the beta so mm -hmm. they they were yeah. kind of ironing out and they had they had this idea and premise in in mind and then earthbound came to be and it was uh much more complete i guess yeah yeah Definitely. uh the one thing uh, that I liked about, you know, not knowing that Earthbound began, you know, this game was so unique, so different than all the other RPG on the screen. Things none of the other RPGs had, or <laughs> you know, just wacky things. Taxis. Yeah, the, uh, oh, yeah, the uh, the pencil eraser and the eraser. <laughs> oh God, yeah, that was the eraser. <laughs> Apparently, in in the Japanese version, those were puns based on octopus. Like, what was an octopus? And there's some kind of like Japanese pun involved, and. Of course, that doesn't work at all in English, so they just changed it to keep the pun, but localizing the pun. So instead of something to do with octopi, instead of pencil eraser and eraser, there's a lot of like wacky little things. Okay, that, that, that all of a sudden it makes sense that it was originally a Japanese pun now. That was so over my head. Yes, that's what happened. Those were supposed to be pencils, and those were supposed to be octopi and something else. I don't remember what, but Japanese pun, you, it's not going to work, or if you explain it, it's longer funny, or eye roll is changing or keep a pun you know on your way to stonehenge you pass by the lock you know, no yeah tessie. <laughs> not the, tessie not the tessie it's a lock test monster <laughs> yes exactly and of course the this is when the mr saturn's first show oh the wacky beloved little, mr saturn's wacky little things that speak in childish handwriting it was quite the font yes as i understand it it was the the japanese Font anyway was based on I I think Ito Shigeshi Sato's Itoi's daughter's handwriting at the time. 
Uh, of course, even though that couldn't work in English, they, they still, it does look like a child's handwriting. Oh, <laughs> very much. So. See, I, I played a patched version of this that kind of fixed the font to make it, a, make it a little bit more readable, so I don't know if I had, like, missed out on some of that. I don't know. I didn't think it was that hard to read. I think including an entirely separate font is just an example of how far Nintendo went to try and really do it justice in a localization, which, 95 that didn't happen yeah no it didn't yeah it's not very often yeah they like they it's kind of a shame that the game did like you know become as popular even though it gained quite the cult following following the years after at least in my in my case like i said i start i i i heard about this game the first time for for real after smash brothers before then i i was not even really not really aware of it except the and it took like all the buzz around mother three for me to actually play the game yeah it's strange that this game doesn't have more of a following um I actually, I mean, I, I love every JRPG I've played on the SNES, and I would still, if if I could only choose one RPG to play for the rest of forever, it would be Earthbound first. Uh, I know Final Fantasy, you know, six is great and four was great, but I would still stick with Earthbound. It just it feels different, and I don't know. I, I've played through the game, I think three or four times now at this point. And there's always something new that I pick up that I missed, you know, some sort of quirky uh, in joke or something like that, that, that stands out. And I'm, I'm laughing at it all over again. Um, yeah. You know, nowadays we've got the trails series where all the, info have interesting dialogue and they'll have some uh, back during this Nintendo era, all the, weren't that in, except in earthbound, they're all, they all have something quirky to say, or yes. they'll break the fourth wall or you know, they'll, they'll just tell you some zany and have you, you know, scratch your head. Like, yeah, what, like what is going on here? I, I remember going back to that, uh, that, uh, that zombie paper line, like after the whole deal in three and the zombies are gone, some guy sunglasses says i wonder if they make pretty girl paint like, okay yeah. <laughs> you're a creep i i feel like i missed out a bit play, playing this game much later in life because it was it was one of those ones that was just completely off my radar until i heard about it on retronauts and then it became the last game i needed in my snes collection <laughs> and that I, I still don't have a copy of it. Let's just put it that way because I haven't wanted to spend that much money on one card. But what? Yeah, get it, out! It's, a, it's an investment in your library. Just do it. It's a few bucks. It's fine. <laughs> uh, hundred bucks. Th Phil, it was cheaper to buy a Wii. <laughs> <laughs> that will that will always be the case, Kelly. Yeah. Yes. I, I you shouldn't feel bad though. I mean, I wouldn't have played this game. I, I actually, when I first got introduced to it, uh, I borrowed it off a friend. It was back when, you know, to borrow games, you had to have your friends bring it to school. You had to, you know, secretly dump it from one backpack to another so the oh, teacher yeah. didn't see you, that kind of thing. So if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't have played it at all. But uh, ever since then, I, you know, I'd fallen in love with it. And I every chance I get to play it or find some iteration of it, I, I will. And I borrowed games from friends that had this game, and I it was just it was so off my radar that I never thought huh. to, to trade. Yeah. That I always wanted to go for Chrono Trigger or Breath of Fire. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And when did I, you finally play it? Um, like as of last, like a couple weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, you and me both. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. This was, this was. I don't know. I never really hit much of the SNES or the PS1 era. So by the time the PS2 came around and i was back into gaming more yeah this wasn't one of the ones a lot of the other ones i went back and did and 
Just not this one. Um, I, I bought the Wii U version like a long time ago, and I tried to play through the Wii U version, and I just could not get into it. And I honestly thought some, it was a me thing, like I'm missing out on this huge end joke. And then for this show, it was like, okay, I'm finally going to finish it. Now I kind of see the charm. Whereas before, it was like, this is really clunky, and the, the inventory in this is just awful. And back then, I couldn't get past that. Oh yeah, it's a. It, I mean, this, this is a very enjoyable game for its humor, but there's a, a bunch of mechanics that can certainly get under your skin. Uh, it's slow. There's no dash button. You, the enemies are on screen, but it's really hard to avoid them. And yeah, that inventory is yeah. not as bad as Earthbound Beginnings, but still not good. The addition of the rolling it. hit point. Though. Oh yeah, that's a that's pretty neat. That is a really neat little addition. It's not more than just wait, a, wait, a wait, simple turn base. We're RPG. getting into all these mechanics. Did we finish up with the story? And I. Didn't catch no, all we of it. started the story. I saw about got to do things in order, boys and girls. Okay. Story time. Don't look at me because I'm not okay. telling you this I story. Mean, it isn't I me. Did, it's not Phil. The beginning. What's my cue to hit mute? Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I guess I'll. Okay. So yeah, you're you're Ness, or you can give him any name you want. Uh, you wake up by a strange noise, like a strange loud, and I believe you're about to investigate, and you're. Like someone knocks at the door, it's Ness's neighbor, who is his friend in quotation marks, Pokey, whose original name was Porky in the Japanese. They presumably changed it because it was kind of mean to call a fat kid Porky. Or maybe they changed it so that he wouldn't be confused with a certain animated pig. I mean, which is kind of funny because they still make pig jokes about him. Like, oh, he looks like a pig in clothes. Stuff like that. Never mind the next game, but... Maybe. Anyways, so anyway... He says, hey, there's a meteor landed in uh, the backwoods there. Let's go investigate. They go over there. His brother, uh, Pokey's younger brother, Picky, is there. And then a, a strange... Oh, and your dog is along with you. Oh, yeah. Your, your King, terrible, terrible dog that barely does anything and always runs and hides. Oh, yeah. Only if you take him. <laughs> if you take him, buddy. Well, doesn't your mom say, you You should go with the dog? <laughs> I don't, I don't want to go. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so well, at least he joins for a little while. There's a dog in Earthbound Beginnings, too, that can walk on its hind legs somehow, but all he, all he can do is just briefly. <laughs> anyway, you go up to the mountain and investigate the meteor, and then a, a, what looks like a bee comes out of it, but a bee I am, not, he says. He says his name is Buzz Buzz, although he's apparently a beetle and not a bee, but uh, he says that he comes from the future when an alien menace named Gygus has taken over the world and much of the universe. Like, it went back in time to try to find a chosen one to gather the eight melodies that can be to defeat him. So they start, they kind of start on the journey, but when they go back to Pokey's house, Pokey's mother swats at Buzz Buzz and kills him in what I guess is supposed to be a dramatic moment, but... It came off more to me as funny. Yeah, yeah. It's because he's, she calls him a dung beetle, which he's supposed to be a beetle in a Japanese version. So tiny, and I guess Buzz is more associated with bees and flies, not with bees. Um, anyway, so he dies, imparting more information to Ness, and then Ness starts his journey in earnest. And then from there, he goes through... I mean, there's uh, just like the first game, although there's more in the way of stuff going on, the, the, the overall story itself is still kind of... Uh, he goes around, has to collect the eight melodies. Instead of being random objects, they're all in spots of power throughout the world, guarded by a guardian monster. meets other special kids that are also part of the Chosen Four who are destined to save the world from Gygus. Uh, he first meets... Does he first meet Paul? Yeah, he first meets Paul and has to save her. 
from a cult, the happy, happy as all of psychic powers. After that, he's Jeff, a kid from a boarding school. You actually get to play as him for a little while uh, to rendezvous with Ness. I forget exactly. I, people, please jump in and fill me too. Uh, you get a you get a like little mini chapter of just him yeah. going around. Yes, you have, yeah. have that at a what's it called Snowden? I think is the boarding school it has a of the snowman thing found being oh I uh, winters that. I think um, winters winter, yes okay. Snowden is Undertale. <laughs> okay, well, okay, well then there you go. Getting my wires. Yeah, winter. It's okay. Snowman. I was gonna yeah. call it snowman, but then Paula <laughs> actually contacts Jeff in like a dream because her and Ness are kidnapped or something happens they yeah. need Jeff to come rescue. Yeah, she has like um, telepathic abilities. When they fell down in the graveyard or something? Yeah. Yep. So then he comes in and saves them. Like he also, he uses bottle rockets and, you know, high-tech gadgets and far more effectively than Lloyd ever did. And he can repair items too. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. Pretty nice. Yes. And you had to do that overnight. If your certain skills were high enough, he could repair certain things that you found. I, I used to do that in that shack in the desert so that I wouldn't waste any money since that was one of the one of the few free places that you could go sleep yeah i think it was uh actually based on his iq stat. yeah was it yeah if he was smart enough to fix it then he would yeah, yeah. okay that makes sense i never did get much use of that repairability but i think most of his best weapons in the game come from repairing stuff it, it's because most of the time it's just useless junk so you put it in your safe and it's a storage yeah, in your storage area until your, sis you know, you your sister's storage company, <laughs> and then you have to go re grab it asleep, and then make that was a that was a great little thing too. Yeah, your sister owned this company and would send uh, the delivery people to pick stuff up from you. Yeah, Escargo Express. <laughs> That's right. There you go. Man, those prices at the beginning were uh, you were not getting any sibling discounts on that. No, no, she had a business to run and she was serious about it. Uh huh. Yeah, you'd be like, oh, I'll just throw these in storage. And you'd be walking around, and about two minutes later, some guy would run up to you and be like, yeah, that's 200 bucks, thanks. It's also worth noting, too, just uh, not to backtrack too much on it, but when you start the game, uh, just like Cassandra was saying, the beginning you can name all the characters, but you also get to name a few other aspects of oh, the right. gameplay. So you can actually choose what your special ability ends up being, uh, so PSI, whatever you choose, I think by default it's rockin'. Yeah, by default it's rockin'. And also also Ness's favorite food, which is a feature returning from the beginning. So you all can also attend. And yeah. you can enter your name, you the player. So there's a yes. couple of instances of fourth wall breaking. And your and your mom will cook your favorite food for you when you talk to her. Sorry, continue. I mean, what? I guess from there, after, some later, a later point in the game, the prince, uh, no, you play as, because it's like a mini the, and you get to have a fourth party member in, in the previous game. Uh, Pooh, the Prince of Dalam, some kingdom somewhere in the mountains in the east, though. Uh, probably loosely loosely based on, I want to say, like, Tibet, but it's probably, it's probably just a hodgepodge of different It definitely seems to be Himalayan-inspired, so yeah. let's let's go with Tibet, Bhutan, Nepal, something. Yeah, yeah, something yeah. like that. It was, what, Dalam? Dalam, yes. Like the Dalai, the Dalai Lama? Oh, yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure. And for some reason, what sticks in my mind is one NPC there saying that she hear Pooh say his best barnyard impressions. <laughs> for some reason, that sticks in my mind after all these years. Man, his little sequence creeped me out when I played it. Oh, yes, because part of it involves him undergoing training to yeah. enter a state of complete, you know, not, to a state of complete nothingness. The spirit of his ancestors, I think, starts 
like seemingly ripping off parts of his body, like complete the training. Creepy. Yeah, I didn't want to do it when I was younger. I was like, no, this sounds like it hurts. <laughs> There's only one way to discipline your mind, and that's by ridding yourself of your mortal body. Apparently, but yeah, he's fine after it's all done. I mean, I don't know why. I don't know if he fixed him back up or if it's just all in his head. The well, nice he, little... never, he never talks after that, so we don't know if it did any psychic damage. <laughs> well, the, the nice little touch on that is the, the audio. Like, when you your ears get cut off, the audio cuts off. And when your eyes get cut off, it, it, it's a black screen. Yeah, I remember that yep. the black screen part. I totally missed out on the audio. Yeah. That I remember. Like, oh, okay. But it's, <laughs> it still creeped me the hell out. Yeah, yeah. From there, you... Okay, compl- should, I, I'm trying to... I'm sure you could... I'm sure I can remember other, like, three. I'm going in. Uh, you have, uh, what, of course, the happy, happiest cult who wants to make everybody happy, and they're all dressed in blue because they, happiness is linked to blue. And they apparently used to have two H's on their weird conical hats, but they removed that because I guess they would remind them of a different uh, crazy cult of people wearing all one color. Um, let's hear what, what else. They're trying to think of some other wacky, wacky things going on. Of course, you run into the Runaway Five, which is a a band a band based loosely on the Blues Brothers. I think I think they had a Japanese closer to that. Um, and you had to like bail them out of debt at, twice in the game, but they do help you out. Uh, they get you through a tunnel of ghosts, and there's some other points. You go to the Giant City Four side, and Pokey. You meet uh, Pokey there because Pokey, for some reason, is working with the uh, aliens. I, I I don't know how that worked. How they why they pick some random kid, even though he's Linked, I guess, because he's he knows Ness, but still kind of weird to think about. And he was in a helicopter. I think the premise was uh, Pokey was he had greed in his heart, and uh, they they capitalized on that. So he wanted the power and and to be the hero that Ness was intended to be. Because he's always been jealous of Ness, and yeah. never not exact not exactly a real friend. Yeah, um, Foresight is a is one of my favorite parts of the game. Like that's when Paula gets kidnapped again, and you have to go try to find her. And you end up going into um, another dimension called Moonside, yeah. and that's that's when the acid trip really starts uh, getting oh, intense. Yeah. yeah, it's like, like all all the lines are replaced by what look like neon and very strange enemies, including. Uh, Dolly's persistent, yeah, Dolly's persistent of memory clocks floating around attacking you and some other... And the street signs attack you. Yeah, the street signs attack you. You know, as opposed to the taxis and and runaway hippies. Yeah, and and old ladies with bags. Oh, yeah, the ladies with bags. Dude, those bags hurt so bad. (laughs) Or the crows that are smoking. Except they're not. Um, They're not smoking. Not, except they were. At this point, is the vinyl and guitar is attacking you, too? Uh, yeah, I yeah you have side uh, of the mall. Yeah, yeah, records. Yeah, yeah, discs are attacking you. Uh, guitars are attacking you. It's yeah, it's a yeah. wonderful. T- but it's, as it's a plus being... side, the uh, the map changes. It it kind of runs on a different angle than the rest of the game. Yes, and you, you find it's all being caused by a strange uh, mind altering stat, the Mani Mani statue that's causing uh, the either the existence or the warp to Moonside. So you have to defeat that thing in order to lift it. I think it's at that point when Pokey is helicopter under. <laughs> Which is a, a a map in Smash Brothers. Oh yes, yes. Some of the music thereof, which oddly a bunch of that music. Maybe not obvious, there's probably a little uh here. Uh okay, I guess I could just uh, skip ahead because I can't really think of it. Oh no, then at some point you go to the underground where there are dino strange creatures called the te- the Tenmas, I think. Weird little green creatures that are all shy. 
They don't want to talk much, but if you find a special book saying overcoming shyness, they'll all stop being shy. Because that's easy. Yeah, they look like little slugs. Yeah, just little green. Like, little green creatures. I'm not sure if they're aliens or not. Like, the uh, the Mr. Saturns are implied to be aliens, but the Titan. Uh, and, of course, you go to Saturn Valley and meet these iconic Mr. Saturns uh, that help you along the journey. And you later find out they're actually super geniuses and help invent a very important machine you're going to need later. I know after, okay, so after you get the eight, uh, Ness has to go into his own magic hand, which is different than the magic hand in Earthbound Beginnings, rather than being peaceful and calm and kind of, cla- like, looks like the I guess it still looks like it's made out of clouds, I think. It's like this bizarre, wacky land with random objects sticking out of the ground and random NPCs or people that Ness knows talking strangely. I think there might be a few strange enemies there. And it's there that he has to, like, overcome his inner his inner doubts in the form of what looks like the Mani Mani statue, and he gets a huge power boost, so he'll be able to take on Gaigan. There's some cave that shows, like, Net, Net, this is inner thoughts, which is probably, like, the only time you ever seen it at some kind of point of Ness. Like, I think it's what, I think that was the last, uh, melody. So, anyway, I think it's, it's sometime after that, I don't know if there's anything between, but it's sometime after Magicant is when you find out that it, the best way to defeat Gygus is to go back in the past to before Gygus being really power, becomes extremely powerful in order to defeat him. But that's going to involve time travel. However, to travel back in, uh, for some reason, well, organic matter can't survive. So they have to transfer their souls into robots and hope that they'll maybe be able to go back to their bodies. They will. Uh, and this is where the game gets so, really strange. <laughs> so for the final dungeon, you are no longer human. You are just clanking robots, except mm-hmm. you've got Ness's baseball cap on somehow. You have to distinguish, well, you have to distinguish Ness. The rest of them, I guess, don't matter as much. <laughs> The Paula robot doesn't get a ribbon or anything, but... The Jeff one doesn't get glasses, and yeah. the Pooh one doesn't get, uh... What would he get? Some... A ponytail, I guess. A ponytail, or, or maybe a karate gi? I don't know. Yeah, I don't, yeah. but anyway, so yeah, you have to travel through this, uh, the cave of the past, where, for some reason, Gygus is inside of... How long in the past? I don't think they ever say. You have to travel through this cave... And you get to this very strange device, and waiting for you there is Pokey, who somehow managed to follow you there, but he's inside some kind of giant spider mech, so I guess that somehow protected him from effects of time travel, destroying organic matter. And he's saying how Gygus has become so powerful, he can't really think anymore and doesn't have a physical form anymore. And the, this machine he's inside of called the Devil's Machine is the only thing keeping him together. He calls him an almighty idiot and decides, I think it's at the point of the fight, Pokey, and part of the Devil's Machine, after you finish the battle, Pokey turns off the machine and lets loose the full force of Gygus, uh, who is somehow Gage, but not, again, I already explained that earlier. He's this strange, wispy, red form. Uh, of course, it's supposed to be, like, indescribable. Uh, I, I don't think he's, I don't think he, you're supposed to just say he's not the part of the background. He is the whole background. Yeah, he's he this, background. this red moving shape of swirly stuff that you, that cannot be encapsulated because uh, he's a, whatever the hell he is. Yeah, he's a It's alien. beyond standard graphical capabilities. <laughs> he's like an alien, who knows, bad background anything. Yeah, I... And I, and I know this gets said a lot, said a lot, but I've always seen it as the outline of this, and I've seen like no, people... everybody says that. At least yeah. Later yeah. on, you see, I think you if you if you I don't know if you squint at it, it kind of looks like Ge- the Gage Sprite's head upside down. But maybe that's just me trying to find other than sort of having the same name. 
Yeah, for for me, it was one of those things that once I saw it, I couldn't unsee it. I remember, is that still a rule on the Starman.net forums? Do not say the word fetus, at least not in reference to Gygus. I don't know. (laughs) Anyway, so... Uh, he's, his attacks are indescri—they're like, indescri- undescribable. You cannot grasp the true form, which is also comes from Earthbound Beginnings. When Gij attacks, you cannot—it it, it says something very similar, like the, uh, the the attack is indescribable. And you find out you can't actually hurt him. In, but after tr- after trying to attack him, eventually a new option shows up in the menu. Paula can pray. And when at first the prayer doesn't seem to do anything, but slowly over time, different characters that you meet over the course of the game. Feel like they need to help somehow, and they reach out to the characters. Uh, Gij gets more. Gigigus gets more and more unstable. His form, the background shifts, and he's even more fetus-like there, or at least a bunch of tiny curled-up ones flashing on a screen. Eventually, even you, the player, whatever you put in, says they reach out through the controller to the character, and then uh, Gigigus seemingly disappears and is. No- and the kids later wake up in their own bodies, and and uh, they come home to. Seemingly, at least, at least to, back to normalcy, because you do get to uh, walk, do, go to explore. You can explore the whole overworld, I think, like that, although there's not much going on. Um, and uh, you can talk to the other NPCs, and eventually I think uh, Ness can talk to his friends, the uh, other party members, to end the game. Um, at the After the credits roll, at the very end of the game, you see Ness at night. Someone is knocking on his door. He opens it, and there's Pokey's younger brother, Picky. He seems scared, and he gives Ness a letter from Pokey, warning him that he'll have his revenge. And the game ends. So, yeah, that's the disjointed story of Earthbound. It's, I mean, it's not exactly a very, it's not, it's not meant to be a very strong story. It's more of the uh, events together and the wacky edge of visit. Yeah, to me, the story of this game is kind of like old school Dragon Quest games where st- stuff happens around the main cast, not necessarily to the main cast. Yeah, even though they're the chosen ones, there's, they don't have a lot of agents somehow. Mm-hmm. And even through the big, even that big, like that big prayer roll call is pretty neat to save. Still, they don't have any of your background. <laughs> And also, when you when you do control some of the characters independently, like Jeff, they become mute, yeah. and then the second that they join your party, they're talkative. Well, semi-talkative. It's not well, like semi. Back- there's not. There's not like there's a lot of background yeah. party chats going on. No, uh, it's kind of predates that sort of thing. Something I did want to note, um, just to uh, correct a bit, is prayer is actually always available for Paula. Is it? Uh, yeah, they it's it's always a thing and if you use it in any other part of the combat, it just restores a little health to your party if it works. Sometimes it it will fail, but Okay, I must have missed that somehow. Or I because I I, I last played uh, Earthbound Beginnings or the sing option does not show up until a few moments into the last battle. So gotcha. Yeah, the interesting thing about it is this is probably the only time we we were talking about the guide earlier and I said that you don't really need it, but I I rescind slightly on that. Uh, this would be the only time where I feel if you didn't have the guide and you didn't know what you were doing, you wouldn't know how to finish the game. Because it, if I remember correctly, they don't tell you that you need to pray well, I, nine Pokey times. does say you better say your prayers. Or, so oh, maybe that was their backhanded yeah. way of saying it. Yeah. He had to hint at it. After he turns off the devil's machine, he's like, you better say your prayers. Again, yeah. But it needs to be done nine times. If you don't, uh, if you don't do it that many times, then you won't actually get anywhere. So, yeah, keep saying your prayers, I suppose. Okay. Uh, one thing uh, I wanted to bring up is uh, uh, throughout the game, 
uh, cameraman just drops down. <laughs> oh, and, uh, he'll 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 take your picture, and uh, Ness will throw up the peace sign, and he'll tell everyone to smile and say fuzzy pickles. And uh, there's a whole bunch of different areas where this guy will show up. And at I the think end of the 12, game, yeah. Uh, yeah, at the end of the game, all the all the different areas you've taken the pictures show up, and like, so it kind of just cool. gives you a little rundown yeah. of your. Adventure. Can't remember if I ever Ness was it. always Ness was always posing, but the other ones weren't, right? Yeah, yeah Ness was the only Ness. one. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Ness is very photogenic. Yes. Yeah, we were just about to get into it before we got uh, mandated for story, but you know <laughs> the combat t- talked of, or we were talking about the combat having the rolling HP bar, so first time we've seen anything i think only time we've seen anything like that i don't know of any other game that has that but you can take a hit of critical damage uh and and be on the way to die and heal yourself before that actually happens that was a cool function that it it took me a couple hours to realize it was happening i mean i always saw that it was spinning and i never really i mean i'm just trying to whip through the combat at some points because it's just attack 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 heal and at one point, I knew I got nailed for like 200 HP, but the combat ended, I think, right then. Yep. And I was looking at my life, and, and I'm stops. like... <laughs> and you notice that yeah. if you can finish the fight before it finishes rolling down, then it only takes as much as much HP as as could roll down before the fight ended. Right. And, yeah. and of course, you could also heal it if you're still in the middle of battle before ticks all the way down to zero it's obviously more effective the higher hp you have so early on it's not too much different but later, i mean it's saved game, it's my skin oh, yeah, more times than i can count i i first encountered it in um peaceful valley with some of the trees that you encountered that would just explode in it in a oh, burst of flames yeah yes that like, was right hit as, so hard right as the battle ended and you know i would put on auto battle a lot and forget oh yeah i need to beat those last because if mm. i don't then my whole party's gonna die right, those guys are also a recurring enemy from the game i think yeah there's three too there's quite a few enemies in the game that have these just over-the-top attacks that will crush you. And I think the the premise was you have a rolling HP bar because that's going to happen, and you need to be able to react accordingly. Like I said, the handbag ladies, they when they swung their handbags, it was not fun. Yeah, I got annoyed because um, when, I realized, when I didn't need the Franklin badge anymore, I put it back in the... Uh, as Cargo Express to save on space, and then was running around and hit, getting hit by those guitars and just getting my ass handed to me. And it's like, well, I think I better take the Franklin badge back in this area because otherwise I'm going to die. Oh, yeah, we did mention the Franklin badge. Me, what am I saying? Item is it actually first shows up in Earthbound Beginnings. Instead of repelling lightning as it's now, it reflects a special. Uh, PK PK beam, I believe, cause it can cause instant death, but it can reflect that so you can protect your sin. Earthbound and Mother Three, it's specifically reflects P or Psy lightning. All all these little fixes. I often wonder if they do ever remake Earthbound, if they're going to change things like Psy is going to become PK Pokey. So I think actually PK is the Japanese. Yeah, it's the Japanese. Shows up in Smash Brothers. Yeah. See, when the Franklin bed showed up. I was like, oh, that's where that spirit from Smash Brothers is from, because that was one of the most broken yeah. spirits in the whole, in the whole game in uh, the World of Light mode. And the item. There's yeah. a, a yeah, Franklin bed. Yeah, it, uh, it's one of the weapon. few games that has a key, a key item that you can use throughout. Um, I can think of one other, Breath of Fire, 
where the uh, E key is something that's actually quite useful for a good chunk of the game. Yeah, it does airish. Yeah, it, I would use it for Nina because she can't do damage worth of crap. So uh, the E key was there. But yeah, the Franklin badge is actually quite useful for many battles and staying away from, you know, the lightning. The Is it lightning? Uh, yes, yeah. Yeah, Sky Lightning or PK Thunder, Thunder but, you know, yeah. attacks. Yeah, and even the inventory space never really bothered me. I mean, obviously we want to hold as many items as humanly possible, but I always felt that it added an extra layer of strategy. You know, what were you going to take for this chunk of the game that would make a difference and, you know, knowing that you were going to pick more stuff up and things like that. Well, thanks to that strategy guide, I was constantly finding treasure chests because I knew exactly where to be looking for them. Oh, yeah. And this is the type of game where you want to preserve your resources, but also because of the limited inventory, it would constantly force me to say, hmm, all right, I think I need to use a few of these items to heal myself right now in order, and also to make space for whatever I'm going to find now. Uh, they're, they're present boxes, though, not treasure chests. They're present boxes. I'm sorry, yes. present on the ground for some reason. Well, yeah, I've, I I always trust presents that have been left on the ground in the middle of the woods or in the middle of a desert, don't you? Well, I get my hamburgers from trash cans all the time, don't you? Mm, only that one time, and it, it didn't work out that well. So I'm going to say that not all of the mechanics in Earthbound translate to real life as well. And fill up your HP meter? No, no. That, that stupid sickness that was sapping my HP, I I couldn't roll it back. Oh. I had to take a couple of sick days instead. That, <laughs> that sucked. Oh, yeah. What, what are the status elements of this game? You can get sick. Uh, you can get you can sunstroke, get homesick. I think. Yeah, you get homesick, but you can get, like, sick. They can get sunstroke in a desert? You, yep, you, you get can. a mushroom on your head. Oh, yeah, you can get mashroomized, guessing a typo. And you're Well, if you, get, if you get sunstroke, then obviously you apply a wet towel to your head. <laughs> But that well, cures sunstroke, right? Apparently. And, and you if you're that. feeling if you're feeling strange with the mushroom on your head, you just go sell it to your neighborhood doctor. Yeah. He'll pay, you, he'll pay you big bucks for it. Yeah, you can get possessed by a ghost. Oh yeah. You can Stupid get ghosts flying around you. So that's good. So yeah, that's a. Yeah, speaking about the uh, inventory, there was a lot of items that restored your uh, hit points. Not a lot of items that restored your uh, magic source. But um, luckily, you could uh, run around and, and chase the magic butterflies, and they can restore your psychic. Yes. So you can see little kids running around chasing butterflies. Hey, better than Earthbound Beginnings. You only had just either places to heal or side. I think they're called Cyrox. Squeeze them. I, I think the same thing showed up in Earthbound to get out some much needed PP. No Cyrox that I can think of. Okay, so I guess was some. They were still, they, the P, I guess the uh, Cyrostorms. Yeah. yeah, there were some hot springs that you could uh, walk yeah. around in. Actually, the hot springs brings up another good point. There's a few moments, uh, most the mostly with the eight places of power or locations of interest, whatever you want to call them, um, that had these introspective moments with Ness, where he's uh, he's having these thoughts, and I can't remember if it's his father or if it's just some entity that's that's recapping what's going on in his life. And, and there's one in the hot springs that does the same thing. And it's, it was a very different kind of, I don't, I don't know which, how you'd want to say it, um, approach to hearing Ness without having him speak. Yeah. yeah I think one of the memories is him remembering the day he got his. So yeah. He sees yeah, a little it's just, puppy. It's just a happy. Oh, right. Yeah. It's, it's a, 
it's different. It's not anything you see with a main character. Normally it's about their current issues or, or something they're going through now and this time. But for Ness, it's, it's about his history of growing up and something that he thinks back on fondly. Yeah, that happens, I think. Does that happen then or does that happen in Magic? But yeah, I do remember that scene. I think I, I think also it might just show, start to show him some of his psychic powers that first time too when he was very young. Yeah, yep. And I think also a cup of coffee that the Mr. Saturn's bring, like, offer Ness also bring on one of his uh, introspective moments. An- another cup of coffee happens when you're in that village with the, oh, the ten, ten, the ten shy. Yeah. Yeah, in, yes. in that village, uh, don't they ask you to like uh, provide your the player's name and then your name gets shown up in the the ending credits saying thank you? I thought that Jeff's friend called you and asked. I you think for it's a few. Name. I think it's a few times at the beginning, but yeah, there's at least twice where they ask for your you the player. I believe. I guess just in case you want to change for some reason. Yeah, there's there's a lot of of customizability in this game that makes your playthrough yours and nobody else's. You know, outside of the fact that... Uh, you, there are 10 you'll... does, darn it. 10 does, not 10... One of the things I thought was pretty unique about this, I mean, there's so much that is, but the money system. You didn't get money from beating enemies directly. <laughs> no. Yeah. Uh, you get it from... It gets deposited in the ATM. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it From was, your father. It was, yeah, it was your dad who was just like, hey, I decided to give you some money. I mean, it was essentially earned from beating the enemies, but... It didn't portray it that way. And one of the few games that I know of that uses real dollars. No GP here. No, although the the prices seem to be more reflective of Japanese yen. I mean, how much for a cookie? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) An $18 hamburger. Yeah, $298 bats. I mean, although I guess, uh, although I guess $18 hamburgers is like those high, those in like a high up, high up a restaurant or something. Yeah, we'll just say it's a BRGR. No big deal. I don't know. Some burgers are getting close to that now, yeah. but, but twenty-three still, I, years. No, holy crap! Twenty-five years. This game came out twenty-five years ago. It feels weird yeah. to say that. Burgers didn't cost that much twenty-five years ago. Usually, yes. it's getting thirty-nine cent hamburgers on Wednesdays at McDonald's back then. Oh, and something else about combat that we didn't really mention is the. You never see a standard background. You see all oh. sorts of psychedelic imagery flashing back and yes. forth. It's a nice little upgrade from just the black backgrounds of first game. Yeah, that stuff was trippy to look at. Yeah, and and battles had uh, different tunes, so you weren't listening to the same music every battle. Yeah, I think they cycled through like four different ones, um, and it was based on the enemy that you were fighting. Yes, uh, at least one of them was based on Johnny Be Good. I think that was, that was my favorite. Oh yeah. I think that's when you're fighting Frank. Yes, and a couple of other anim- and a couple of the other retro enemies, hippies. The um when you the combat also had an interesting uh, mechanic with the approaching it head on behind and and being snuck up on, uh, which gave advantage, disadvantage, and mm-hmm. neutrality. And, and if you were a high enough level, you could just uh, beat them without instantly actually... win. Yeah, <laughs> they'd run away. That from you I too. thought was the they coolest to... part. Yeah, they, you just go straight to the victory screen. Yeah. Why don't more games RPGs do this? I, I don't like, know. I want to know because I think the only other game I've seen is like uh, some of the Mother Three. Oh, okay, yeah, Mother Three. But... <laughs> the closest, the closest okay. I've ever seen to another game doing that is in the pre Trails in the Sky games. Um, enemies just kind of run away from you if you're overleveled. But if you chase them down and 
will they automatically die or do you still have to fight them you still have to fight them but at least they kind of steer clear of you yeah but it, it like it, again i find that's in paper if you had the badge you could just bump into them at a high enough level die instantly because they wouldn't run away i will say as an aside i am playing uh dbz kakarot and you can do that if you are five levels higher than whatever you're going to fight you can dash into it and beat the enemy instantly as opposed to fighting it cool so there are a few but yeah it's it's definitely not as prevalent as it should be oh okay uh you know it's about the music maybe uh it's pretty good yeah i i like the music in this game i um I know that it samples or kind of borrows a lot from other songs. Like the um, the song that you that plays when you're flying in the spaceship is Jeff. Kind of sounds like um, "Won't Get Fooled Again" by the Who. Which once I heard that, I couldn't unhear it. There's quite a there's supposed to be a couple of and obviously I mentioned Johnny B. So I think at the I remember like back in the day there was much speculation as to why that that was the reason why uh, Earthbound was not on the virtual console was because of the uh, music samples uh, as far as we're aware they didn't change them for the wii u release i never did completish that playthrough so who knows if that's the reason why but there's quite a few see i always heard the reason why was because of the dolly pain or why, why it took so long to come out it's because of the dolly pain hmm. like, i've heard it was the music but who knows it may not be not it may be it just for whatever reason they had to there's a lot of music i enjoy and oftentimes when i'm working i'll listen to the soundtrack just because it's so good to listen to but I'll still, one of my favorites is still going to be the song they play whenever the uh, Runaway Five is performing. Mm -hmm. uh, just that bass line when it comes in, it's just, it's chill worthy. Good. And I mentioned before, uh, the winter theme is based on an earlier theme in the first game of Snowman, which also shows up in three. You get a few snippets of uh, the Pollyanna when you when the, you first start to give us a couple. Yeah, that's quite a... I, I like the Saturn Valley theme a lot. Oh, it's yeah, very bouncy, very happy. Kind of sounds like you're in a cartoon. Everything about the Saturns is wonderful. Yeah. Fun fact is when I'm playing Smash, if a Mr. Saturn is on the board, I will protect it with my life. <laughs> you won't throw it? it I, I felt like whenever Saturns were a thing uh, in Earthbound and I was playing, I, I had that meme in my head before that meme was a thing where it's like... Uh, the the poltergeist meme that came out where it's like i will protect this it needs my love or something like that oh yeah yeah, yeah. that's how i feel about the saturns all the time are, are the saturns based on anything or a caricature of something or are they just supposed to look weird i think they're just supposed to look weird i mean they vaguely look like blobfish but i think any resemblances i think they're just a wacky i i didn't know if they were supposed to be like a japanese caricature or something that we just missed like how woe buffett's supposed to be a joke of a comedian to mine and they're incredibly progressive because the males and females look exactly the same even though they're all called mr saturn that's right and and they all wear bows yes they all wear bows well i think there's one mr saturn in mother three that says it's a she's the woman but otherwise yeah <laughs> or something to i love the mr saturns they're adorable mm -hmm. they sure are just uh just looking through this uh, strategy guide there's a there's a whole bunch of uh at, at one point you go to the desert and you go inside the great pyramids and and there's a little snippet here that says explore the great pyramid special tour august 2nd through 6th five days four nights you'll need water snake bite serum ropes wet towels toothbrush underwear yeah i guess we didn't talk about the deep darkness i'm not sure what there is to say about it but 
if you like wandering through swamps, it's there for you. Oh, okay, that's where the uh, the Tenda village is. And the dinosaur. Oh yeah, that that spot got on my nerves because of how slow your walking speed. I mean, this walking speed in the game is already glacially slow, and then they make it worse by making it even slower. Just just buy a whole bunch of skip sandwiches. Yeah, you guys are like the first people I've heard who have mentioned about the walk speed. It never bothered me. I, I it feel didn't like bother it's... me either. I, maybe it's because I was playing a whole bunch of other older games at the time. So by the yeah. standards of '95, this was <laughs> not slow. Right, one I... one block speed is is not fast enough for me. But the the free moving Earthbound was pretty speedy. Skip sandwiches aside. Yeah. Or another thing I did to to speed things up was use a teleport. And just run into walls before oh, yeah. I actually teleported. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was that was you. Oh, here's one thing we haven't talked about: the, the focus of much of the advertising you know, in this hemisphere, Mister Belch. Oh, Master Belch. Master and, Belch. Uh, he gets upgraded into Master Barf uh, later in the game. The Remember, of- it it was the '90s when it was totally full of two to have something named Belch and Barf. <laughs> Yeah. Well, this and, was the Ren and Stimpy era. Yeah, exactly. Gross out humor. Yep. And had a burp attack with a nice burp sound effect. Yes, and you could distract him using a item called Fly Honey. Mm-hmm. Eat him up and he wouldn't attack you. Is that only for the first battle? I can't quite remember. Yeah, uh, getting to him was cool because there was a, a part where you had to sit underneath the waterfall for three minutes. And uh, if you didn't That's have the strategy right. guide, <laughs> if you didn't have the strategy guide, you'd probably just be stuck there and not know what to do. Yeah, one somebody person tells said you something. Yeah. Yeah, the Saturn men. Yeah. They say you have to wait, but they don't say how long and it is three in-game moments or minutes and you cannot move. See, that part drove me nuts on the, on the emulator because my Vita kept timing out. I was about oh. to say that same thing. I had to make sure I kept touching the Vita screen <laughs> to keep it from falling gamers. asleep. <laughs> Couldn't just walk away and use the restroom, I guess. Yeah, you couldn't. Yep. This is what this is the problems of playing it in 2020 when uh you don't have unlimited funds. Yeah, I mean that's why the walk speed was kind of getting on my nerves because I was um using the fast forward function in the emulator to kind of zip through battles, and when I have fast forward on and the walk speed feels like a modern game, then I think that it's a little bit too slow. But I'm also spoiled on modern games that kind of have a dash button or kind of, I, I don't know, feel like the, the they've gotten walk speeds normal in RPGs, so... Well, remember remember when you found the the, the speed you had in Final Fantasy VI? I think yeah. It was just a few hours in, and it was like, oh my gosh, this game feels so much better. Oh, I mean, it was already the best ring. game ever, of course, but once, yeah, once you got the speed ring, it just became the bestest bestest ever. Yeah. Sprint boot or something. Yeah. Sprint yeah, boot, I mean, sprint something rather. Yeah. It was an sprint accessory. Boots, that's what it is. Yeah. It was an accessory that didn't help you out in combat, but even in the tough dungeons, I had that thing equipped taking up someone's slot somewhere. Yep. I, I, I used to do a Game Genie code just to do that, just to free up an inventory slot. And that was yeah. the only Game Genie code I would use. But yeah, I feel like I, I, I feel like it's totally fair. I feel like wrong game, yeah. and I, and I know walks. Spe- I know game speed in general is such a first world problem when it comes <laughs> to gaming. But I, I I'm too spoiled on modern games that let you fast forward, or at least dash with holding a button in. Yeah, I I blame Bravely Default. That one was the one that really kind of. Oh, made it more yeah. common, or ma- made a lot of those quality of life feel more common. Yeah, every I, game yeah. could use a, a double and triple battle speed for sure. <laughs> so, Most definitely. 
So to wrap to wrap this up because we do want to we got one more game to knock out we got a whole bunch of other stuff to do so I want to just do a, a round table and uh, now and, and talk about whether or not uh, you know of course you know just give me a one two minute synopsis how much you like or don't like the game kind of make a case uh, to convince somebody to take the time out to play it or or stay away. And, uh, you know, without the without worrying about the money component, we'll talk about the money later. But, I mean, there's plenty of, I think there's plenty of inexpensive ways to find a way to, to, to play this if you really wanted to. So uh, let me let me pull up my list of names here, and we'll start off with uh, with Mr. Minky. Well, no, we always say Minky for last. Let's start off with uh, Cassandra. Okay, so, yeah, this is a, quir- this is a quirky ga- a game. It's got a cult following, and it's got a good reason for it. I mean, yeah, there are some of the fans be obnoxious, but any fandom can be obnoxious if you find searching the right places or the wrong places i suppose but anyway it's got loads of charm you can definitely loads of humor uh it's uh it, it, well there's a couple of niggles it's uh very amusing and uh you'll definitely remember it random lines by nps a random wacky event uh the strange moments where the series takes a what well, the series this game just kind of takes uh like a, a darker turn like the moon training or of course the end of the game uh with the four the four kids going into the robot body um and uh but yeah it's just definitely track this down if you can um again there are there's not too hard a way i mean especially with the 3ds uh virtual console although i don't know how long that'll be uh it should be that hard to pick it out so yeah give the game a try it is i it is a very good game and while it's not my most favorite snes game it's certainly up there and i very much enjoy how about you ryan uh yeah i'd i'd say that this is a a game that you should probably play at one point if you're a fan of RPG, and especially if you like retro or unique, uh, this will uh, stick out. And uh, yeah, you can you can play this on the Super Nintendo Mini, so that's alternative. If and... you can find one now. Oh, is it, is it starting to get rare? I, I'm not... They stopped production, I think, last <clears throat> last year. Ah, okay. Well, then never mind then. But yeah, you should still play it. I consider it one of uh, my uh, top uh, five. Cool. How about, uh, how about you, Mr. Matt? I had not played this game until this year this decade here and it, it's definitely interesting <clears throat> i think those keywords of unique and retro um are kind of key you're wait wait matt Let, let's let's be sure, yes. clear here we are talking about the decade that just began a month and a half ago right <laughs> the decade that began a month and a half ago yeah i hadn't played it until 2020 so okay 25 I, I, years I, it's had still weird to think that it's a new decade already <laughs> Yes. So, I mean, those are definitely keywords. Um, if you're not willing to do the things that SNES RPGs were like, if that slowness, that grind, all those things are not for you, this may not be something that you're going to make it all the way through. Um, but if you enjoy that, if these are something that brings back memories for you, um, I think most of us are definitely older generation gamers. We're all around 40 years old or approaching that at some point soon i think for the most part but um i wouldn't i wouldn't really recommend this to my uh, fifth graders that i teach sometimes i there are games that i'll talk to them about but this wouldn't exactly be one that uh i'm like hey you got to reach out and try this but yeah i would say if you're someone who's played a lot of rpgs want to understand the history of rpgs and go back to those super nintendo games definitely it's something to try Okay, I'm gonna throw uh, I'm gonna throw Relly here uh, a bit of a curveball. 
Relly, in your sales job here, I want you to, to uh, try to sell somebody who might have seen a certain uh, YouTube video that came out lately about this game that ranted and raved a bit about the obscurity, some of the hard puzzles and, and things like that. Would speak to that person and try to convince them to come play this game. Oh, it's, that, that's kind of hard for me because there was a point in time where I just di didn't get this game at all. I didn't get with the cult following. I didn't... I, it, it didn't gel with me, and I didn't really get the appeal. And then I played Undertale, which is one of my favorite games of all time, which is directly inspired by this game. Toby Fox even did a uh, Earthbound hack. So it, it was like, okay, obviously I love Undertale. Obviously this game's roots, or obviously Undertale's roots come from us. Sorry, that with my chance thought. Obviously, Undertale's roots come from Earthbound. I need to give it a fair shake. Um, playing it again, I can now see why this this has had such a huge impact on people, particularly back in the day when the only RPGs we had on the NES were sword and sorcery, because if you were a Genesis kid, you got a little bit of sci-fi in there, but most kids were a one-console one household. And this being more of a comedy RPG, I, I can see the appeal now, and I, I finally get it, and I, I understand the cult following. And I, I concur with Cassandra that, yeah, the, the fans can be annoying of the Mother series, and that's certainly why I didn't like it for the longest time, was because the fans got on my nerves. But I kind of got over that, and now I I would recommend people check it out. Not not spend a whole lot of money to check it out, but check it out. See, see if it gels with you. See if the humor gels with you, because there's a, there's a lot of charm there that I didn't see before until now, this decade, 2020. I'm kind of jealous. You uh you run into a lot of Earthbound fans. <laughs> My friends don't even know this game exists. Um, I I'm in a Facebook community that's that's kind of like full of gamers, and we was just like doing our hot takes. And my hot take was that I thought that over Earthbound was overrated, and boy, the vitriol I got! A lot of a lot of fist shaking at the computer screen. Yeah, Mr. Uh, Mr. Minky. Well, on I a, wanna, on, uh, I want to oh, address that uh, that image you shared of ravenous Earthbound fans wishing you death and enormous pain due to your refusal to bow to the majesty of Earthbound. Sorry, you cut out there. Oh, stupid. I blame suddenly. Uh, the image that you shared a little while ago of the Ravenous Earthbound fan base. Care to relate any further on that, or does it speak for itself? No, I mean, I understand being passionate about things, especially things that have a cult following. I mean, my God, I was uh, in a Rocky Horror Picture Show cast for like five years, so I, I know about pre preaching about <clears throat> preaching about uh, underground things. Um, and, and it's going to tie into our discussion of the next game in the series. It was just, it, it seemed like there was a lot of whining and crying about the, how how the Mother series didn't get any respect. And I just wanted to say, welcome to being a JRPG fan. We get, we have jackets. <laughs> <laughs> like, you guys don't understand all of the stuff that we've never gotten in the United States that it seems unfair that we've never gotten it, but that's just part of being a JRPG fan. You don't, you don't always get what you want. And 
that was around the discussion for the next game, and it certainly was around the discussion before Earthbound oh, got yeah. hit the virtual console eventually. And or you know the previous game in the series. Yeah, and that that conversation kind of got on my nerves some, and that that was a lot of the mother fans that were whining and crying about it. And I'm sorry, but they got, got on my nerves pretty bad. My younger self apologizes. I was one of those. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm sure my younger self probably was bitchy about. I don't know, Shimagami Tensei, or the Project Rainfall games, but you know, it, it it is what it is. And when I uh, when I saw Ness show up in the Super Smash Brothers game, I was like, "Whoa! Nintendo remembers this game exists." <laughs> whereas most whereas most of the people who played it were like, "Who the heck is that?" Yeah. In my case, I thought, "Is this supposed to be the Pokemon trainer when, done up like a Charlie Brown character?" <laughs> that was my thought. When, when they they had that one Nintendo Direct that was the robot chicken skit that had Reggie burn or fireball somebody that said, "Where's Mother Three? I thought I was gonna cry laughing. Well, so we've had some good arguments. And, and and now let's talk about our prices, right? Because, I mean, yes, you could go and find this on some sort of 3DS virtual console for probably 10 bucks. I, I didn't really... I, I agree that it is worth playing, absolutely. I don't know that it is necessarily worth paying what it will cost to get you a pristine copy. We will go for that in a moment. But it has a, an appeal and a sensibility all its own, which... The more RPGs you play, the more one that stands out for being completely different is easy to appreciate. Hmm. Do you uh, do you agree with that, Peter? I I think that. So I was gonna start by saying that uh, Kelly's wrong. Don't ever listen to her. No. I'm, no, I'm, you're I'm, right. I am wrong. Um. I I think it goes without saying that the fact that I've never been on a backtrack before the Earthbound one. Uh, should probably speak volumes that I'm very biased. Uh, I love this game to death, and I've always said, you know, if I was trapped on an island with only one game to play, this would be it. Um, it's not my favorite game of all time, but it has so many qualities that make it stand out. You know, we've said unique, we've said quirky. There, there's, there's so much to love about the game that even with its flaws, you can, you can look past them and and be okay with it just because of how much they've done with it so and in the age of of you know indie developers and people who are looking for inspiration you know like undertale i i would say look to this game play it and see what they've done that makes it so unique in an era where jrpgs are very standard and follow kind of the same format and this one kind of just did its own thing it marched to its own beat and we have you know the beauty that is earthbound Hi. Did you have any other uh, final thoughts there, Mr. Mike, before I quote this uh, this prize that I might have found? <laughs> when I first played it in, I'm going to say it was the summer of 2001. I'm pretty sure that's what it is. Maybe it's because I had the strategy guide there. That's how I picked it up. But I remember being completely absorbed in it. And I replayed it a few years later. was, again, completely absorbed in it. I wouldn't call it my favorite RPG ever. We know that that's not the case but i do greatly enjoy it and i think anyone who hasn't given it a shot and has the opportunity to would definitely do well because most of what it does it does quite well there that's what i have to say but the question is does it do it well enough to justify a full press because our listeners they don't want just an emulated version they don't want to 
you know, their virtual console that squishes on the tiny screen. Man, they want the authentic version. And they don't even want they don't even want Super Remember, Nintendo because the, that... The authentic version comes in a gigantic box because we've got to have that strategy guide with it. They, they don't even want that, Mike. They want the original Famicom version. You mean Super Famicom? It, it oh. wasn't on the Famicom. Oh, you <laughs> know... Unless we're talking about Earthbound Beginnings. Oh, <laughs> this is an Earthbound Beginnings that popped up. Oh. Well, we should still talk yeah. about that because it's the most expensive, anyways. Let's be honest. So that's probably a reproduction cart because you're probably not gonna. Is it a big NES cart? It's a well, it's in a box and it looks pristine and and it looks brand new because and that's what it says. Well, it says Mother, aka Earthbound Nintendo Famicom SNES, brand new sealed mint box. So. I'm a little confused. Is that yeah. is that That's quite the it, disjointed title? Okay, you'd uh, have to paste the link in the in the chat, but that is probably a reproduction. No, 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 they would never do that. <laughs> Not for this price. Okay, that is a Famicom card. I I've seen re- repo cards on or on eBay money? before. Yeah, so uh, it's, uh, and, and as y'all can see there, it's the low, low price, pristine condition, low, low price of only twenty four ninety nine ninety nine. Well, that's only $105 a month for the next two years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and look, it's yeah, got, got $105 from Square Trade. a month. <laughs> yeah, you know, you'll get $25 in eBay bucks, you know, I mean, uh, what's not to like here? And free 30-day returns, which I think I'd open up plate and then no, turn they... it back. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> even, even for a game like this, I mean, I it doesn't matter what game it is. If you're paying thousands of dollars, that seems too much. I'd say most you should go for any game, no matter how much you want it, uh, it's like 200 maybe 250 at best hmm why does the title oh. say mother aka earthbound nintendo famicom nes and shows the i think it's meant to be though the authenticity is questionable the uh, prototypes of the uh of the localized version because that was going to um, be called just earthbound until the the plans got shelved um, I, I can tell you why, because I work ETEL. Um, they're stuffing as many keywords as they can in the title to get all of the searches possible for that. Hey, look at those sponsored items lower in the listing. I see Nintendo Famicom Mother 1 for $65. Hmm. Almost well, gone. Jump on it. <laughs> And, and yeah, I did just a search for regular Earthbound, and like the first twenty entries are all repo cards of various ROM hacks and uh, Mother One and Three for the GBA and Mother Three uh, Flash um, repo cards, and the authentic copies don't start until you get to the triple digits. I think giving y'all's like high praise, it's totally worth the twenty five hundred. But what kills me about this game is that it's not even that rare. Um, best uh, supposedly Best Buy would had stacks of them that they were blowing out for five bucks each. And let me tell you, if if time travel ever becomes possible, I'm not going back and killing Hitler. I'm going back to nineteen what ninety nine, and I'm gonna buy a stack of those for five bucks. And I'm gonna put them in a safe. <laughs> Well, there you go. While you're busy doing that, I'm going to go find us some more music and put it right about here. So, and then when we come back, we're going to jump into one more Earthbound game. So hold on tight. Mother. Earthbound Mother, it's all the same. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> 
welcome back. We continue our main event by jumping into the title known as Mother 3, a role-playing video game developed by Brownie Brown and HAL Laboratory, published by Nintendo for the Game Boy Advance handheld system, released in Japan on April 20, 2006. This is a single-player RPG experience. Who wants to start us off by talking about the deep plot of Mother 3? Oh, the plot of this game is more straightforward than the past two games, for sure. Yeah, it, it, instead of stuff happening around the characters, stuff definitely happens to the characters. Um, so you start out naming your pretty much an entire family of people. Um, two brothers, the mother, the father, and the dog. And it starts out with uh, the mother whose default name is Hinawa. Hinawa, yeah. Yeah, Hinawa. And you're basically uh, Klaus and Lucas, the two brothers, and you're just hanging out at home with your mom. And you go outside and you're playing with some dinosaurs. Yeah, just kind of roughhousing with them and stuff. And then Hinawa um, sends a pigeon to um, their father, Flint, who is back in the town. the, the, the town called Tasmili Village. And the the entire game takes place in a place called Nowhere, Iowa. And um, Inawa and Klaus and Lucas are visiting their grandpa, Alec. Um, and then Control switches over to Flint. And all of a sudden, there's like a fire in the, where to the north of Tasmili, where, you know, the rest of his family is staying. So you're kind of charged with it, put, putting out the fire. And... Um, Flynn is going crazy trying to search for him, and in the meantime, he finds out about uh, the pig masks, which are in the forest, uh, who, who started the fire. And, um, sorry, I kind of got lost track of where I was. That's okay, that's what the <laughs> auto filter is for. Take all the time you need. <clears throat> so, um, Flynn is, is searching for the rest of his family and trying to help put out the forest fire. And the rest of the village is kind of also going crazy searching for the family and putting out the forest fire. And that's when you meet Duster and his father, whose name is escaping me right now. Uh, it'll come to me, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. And um, you, you get the name Duster at this point, and Duster is a thief, and he um, ma- makes a ladder for you to climb to find out where the family is. And you see that there's claw marks everywhere, and that only the dinosaurs named Dragos could have possibly caused claw marks. And you're, you keep searching, and uh, while you're searching for them, um, you're, you're at a campfire, and one of the townsfolk goes, well, the good news is, is that we found this great, this uh, Drago tooth, which will make a great weapon. The bad news is that, well, that we found the Drago tooth in the heart of Hinawa. Which, at the time, I was thinking, wow, way to break the bad news there, (laughs) dude. Um, So, Flint kind of freaks out. He takes one of the sticks and starts, takes a stick and just starts beating up the fire and then starts, uh, punches out one of the town folk because he's just so grief-stricken that he's filled with rage. And one of the other town's folk has to, uh, hits him on the head to knock him out and he gets put in uh, the jail cell to calm down. And they had found Flint, or no, Lucas and Klaus. And um, Klaus brings an apple to the jail cell and says, you might find the cores a little hard. And uh, Flint bites into it and finds a nail file in it. And he uses that nail file to break out of jail. And I honestly can't remember what happened after that. He, I, isn't he going to look for 
Klaus who Yeah, I think Klaus went to try to get to get revenge on the Drago that apparently killed his mother. And yeah. At some point after that that they find out that it's been turned into a half cybernetic creature. Yeah, it was a boss fight. That was a pain in the ass. Yeah, I do remember being pretty hard. I, I it took me like three tries to get through that thing. But um so you beat the Drago, um Flint is gonna kill it and Lucas stops stops him and you can't find Klaus at all. He uh, fell he fell down the mountain and can't find him. Even though after the scene ends, you kind of see him behind the mountain. So uh, Chekhov's gun there, and that's when that chapter ends. And then in the next chapter, chapter two, you're you're controlling Duster, who needs to find who needs to break into a castle to find something. Um, Duster's father doesn't tell you what it is. He says that you'll know it when you see it. So Duster breaks into this castle looking for it, and then picks out like an old urn. Was it an urn or a spittoon? I can't remember. Something like that. Yeah, and then brings it back, and Duster's father is like, "You idiot! This wasn't what we was looking for." So he goes back with you, and as you go back, you see, um, you see this red-haired girl go into a secret room, and you follow her into the secret room, and you find out that she's Princess Kimatora. Kumatora, yeah. It, Kumatora. It literally, bear and tiger in Japanese put together. Okay, bear tiger. I see. And um, you follow her through the secret passage, and you find this mysterious egg. It's it's the hummingbird egg. And as you get it, you get pull, pulled into a trap. Um, you fall into the sewers. You, you get washed away, and Duster is nowhere to be found. And Kimatora or Kumatora, um, Kumatora and Duster's dad show up. Wes, thank you. Duster's father is Wes. I could I couldn't remember. Um, and then that's when chapter two ends. Um. Chapter three, that, that's the one where you play as the monkey, right? Yes, yeah, salsa. Uh, yeah. Fun, yeah, fun fact. Uh, salsa, pronounced with the Japanese accent, would be sarusa, and saru with the Japanese word for monkey, so pun. Ah, I see. So um, you're, contr- you're playing this monkey that's captured by uh, someone in the pig army named Facade, and um, Facade has a has a shot collar on you as the and says that you you have to do everything we say or else we're going to harm your girlfriend. And of course the the monkey wants to uh, comply because he doesn't want his girlfriend to get uh, hurt. So you go into Tasmili village and you're basically like the guy's helpful monkey and he's giving a preach he's preaching about happiness and you're doing a little dance and you have to kind of like follow his lead to do the right dances or he'll shock you. Which was very, very frustrating. And then um, when you're done doing his little preachy thing, um, he's asking if people want happiness in their lives. And um, four people say yes. And he says, when you're done, he says, okay, um, we need you to, uh, Facade tells you as the monkey, we need you to deliver these happy boxes. And if you do it within like three minutes, I think, yeah. Some some arbitrary amount of time. If you do it within a certain amount of time, you'll get a luxury banana. So no matter how fast you do it, because you've got to deliver all the happy boxes one at a time, um, he still shocks you, says that you didn't do it fast. And these happy boxes are basically TV sets. <clears throat> Hang on, I need to get me some water. I'm just going to chime in to say that while I have read of the story, when I played the game, I just had a GBA cart, and this was... Holy cow, it was about 10 years ago now. So it was in Japanese, and I just played it because 
I did not feel like trying to hack the game and put in a translation. So I read everything about the story afterwards. I played, yeah, I played this well before the fan translation, but there was, there it probably still is a translated script on GameFAQs, which I read along as I played. Yeah, I played the fan translate. So um, I can't remember what happens after you deliver the happy boxes with the monkey. And my plot summary doesn't say it skips right to chapter four. Hang on, we're going to. Doesn't, doesn't, uh, salsa somehow get free at the end of chapter three he's still in yeah yeah he still gets free i just can't remember how um because after salsa's chapter we jump right in the yeah and and this is all like kind of considered prologue and that the real story doesn't begin until chapter four um oh oh, kumatora rescues salsa um i I think you managed to run out late at night and then as you're kind of going through the village trying to escape facade tracks you down and shocks you and is like getting ready to seriously hurt you and then kumatora and i think lucas is just no it's either lucas or duster i i know that some of the characters like rush in with a drago and save salsa's salsa and the girl monkey's life and they take off and the the neat thing about these first three well these first two chapters is that you kind of see glimpses of the other characters while you're playing and they the the two chapters basically take place at the exact same time like in uh duster's chapter you meet with a kid who hides some money in the well and then at the end of duster's chapter um Duster gets accused of stealing the money. Well, then in Salsa's chapter, Facade actually finds the money in the well and takes it. And it, it's just, I thought that that was kind of a neat retelling bit. Yeah, Facade's a kind of a, a big punk. Oh, and yeah. He's him to be just you know, a disliked person. He definitely lives up to that yeah, villain. I think, I think his name liter- like, literally means um, a deceitful in, or something to that effect, in Arabic. Uh, his original Japanese name was Yokuba. So it's actually a pretty neat bit of localization there. Yeah. Which means something similar to that. So, um, Salsa does get rescued by Komotor, Wes, and Lucas, and then that chapter ends, and then, um, um, chapter four starts out three years later. Um, you play as Lucas, and you, you play as Lucas for this chapter, and pretty much as Lucas for the rest of the game. Um, three years have passed. Pretty much every single box or every, every single home has a happy box now, and for some reason, homes without happy boxes keep getting hit by lightning. Um, at this point, currency is introduced because um, up and up until this point, the townspeople just kind of give you stuff, um, and now you have to pretty much use uh, money to buy anything, and it and it works just like how it did in Mother Two, where um, the currency is in a bank. Though all of the banks, quote unquote, are with the save points, and the save points are a frog instead of the telephone so every time you go to uh, frog to save your game you can choose whether or not to um withdraw any money i forgot what the currency was called wasn't it dp yeah dp or i guess dragon power apparently which will come important a little oh i didn't even catch that (laughs) Um, much much like in earthbound you're always uh gonna run into a save frog in some random spot yeah, there's it's they're not lacking throughout the world. yeah I, I kind of appreciated that because um you know they know it's a portable game and you know that they know that you know being able to save it at, at a whim is a must and even though it has a sleep function you like literally can't go three screens without seeing a save frog which is so nice so um 
there's rumors in the town that has a factory north of it now that um, Duster has been spotted at a club called uh, Club Titty Boo. I, I probably pronounced it wrong. I'm pretty but... sure that's how it's supposed to be pronounced. Yeah, Titty Boo. So you, you hop on a train and you go north into the factory and you do a little bit of uh, work at the factory um, reviving these clay dolls and your, your reward is to go to Club Titty Boo. And they're a band named DCMC is playing, and their basis the their basis looks suspiciously just like Duster. Um, so, so you do this dungeon where you're kind of wandering around backstage, um, fighting rats and stuff, trying to get backstage so that you can meet with Duster. And there's a girl there named I think it was Viola that looks suspiciously familiar. That's like, hey, I'll let you meet with Duster, and then you meet with her, and surprise, it's Kubator. And you watch Duster play with with the band, and he's he's lost his memory. Um, they they convince him to go. Kumator and Lucas convince him to go with them, and he um leaves his afro and was like, "Thanks for letting me rock with you guys." And in a really touching scene, when he took his afro off and set it on the ground, it kind of t- made me tear up a little bit. And the reason why they were trying to find Duster is because Duster still had at one point still had the uh, hummingbird egg that you got from the castle and um when duster lost his memory he hid it somewhere so that that's what you've got to do your do you i don't know if it switches to chapter five at this point if it's still chapter four i believe they have they meet one of the gypsies and for at some point after that i think and that's when lucas learns the uh the equivalent of psy rocking default pk love yeah yeah and you're running around in the um the pig ship or whatever which is kind of neat you're using the pig ship well no let me back that up you find where duster had buried the hum and it was by a clay idol or a clay doll that was shut down and all of a sudden lightning hits it and the clay doll runs off and you have to chase it down and then you eventually chase it down in the um pig ships and have to fight the clay doll and then duster when he picks up the hummingbird egg he that's when he gets his memory back hang on i need another drink of water i think um at that point the the group then tries to stop the thunder so they go to the the tower that's causing the lightning they climb it and i think uh they get rid of that yeah that that boss fight and i think then facade uh knocks them off the tower and that's when chapter i'm gonna say six starts it was a very short chapter it's basically um lucas running through a field chasing after his mother and then falling and then he wakes up and he had fell in a conveniently placed hay- haystack which i believe one of the gypsies said to uh place right there at that exact moment and then chapter seven starts and that's when you are instructed to go to the gypsies and these gypsies are an ancient race that I, neither man nor woman um they know magic or whatever the pk the psychic stuff is and they tell you that um the pig army is trying to pull needles out of the ground and these needles seal away this have sealed away this dark dragon that destroyed the world thousands of years ago and the heart of the dragon 
it depends on who pulls the needle. So if you're evil of heart, then the dragon's going to be evil. If you're good of heart, then the dragon's going to be good. And the entirety of chapter seven is pretty much going through like the entire world, trying to track down a bunch of, trying to track down all of these needles. And in the meantime, uh, this mysterious masked man who is the leader of the pig army is also tracking down these needles. And it's kind of like back and forth, like Lucas will pull one and the masked man will pull one and it just keeps going like that until the final needle, which um, you pull in chapter eight. Um, it's kind of all sorts of dungeons at this point. If anybody wants to chime in and I know at some point you go into you find the laboratory where they're creating the chimeras, which make up a majority of the enemies. Yeah, yeah. And that yeah. that lab you run into salsa again. Yeah, it was uh, interesting when you go in that laboratory and you find that chimera that uh, if you run into it, instantly kills you. The, the ultimate chimera, yeah, also the a feature of the. Uh... One of the Smash Brothers. Yeah, I was gonna, yeah, stages. that's that's a, uh, a little uh, enemy in the Smash Brothers stage. If you uh, run into that, it instantly destroys your character. Which I, you know, at the time I didn't know where this where it had come from. And Mother Three, I was like, oh, okay, there it is. Yeah, I know what you, yeah. Oh, and also at this point in the game, your final party's kind of there, and it's Lucas, Kumatora, Duster, and Boney the dog. Um, yeah. Good old Boney. I was uh I was kind of disappointed with the final roster. Uh, I, I I enjoyed having the magic users uh like we had in Earthbound and uh in this game Duster and Boney kind of just had to throw out items the entire time. Yeah, we'll get into that when we talk about the battles. Uh, because um crap, I lost my. Um, I believe while in that, they're, yeah, they're, when they're in that lab, they find an old man hiding in a trash can. He says he's Dr. Andonuts from Earthbound, which we actually failed to mention, I think. He was Jeff's father, although there's some fan theories that he might actually be an older Jeff, who knows. And he says that he's being forced to work for the pig masks to develop these uh, chimeras and other inventions. And uh, I believe they rescue him at that point, because uh, he does do some of he does do some important stuff, I think. Like, he helps you near the end of the game. Much like he did in the second game. Oh, and the th- one thing I forgot to mention is that there are seven needles, and for each needle that gets pulled, um, one of the seven Magypsies dies. Um, because they, they're basically using all of their power to keep the needle in in the earth. And and that's kind of important. And pretty much each Magypsy knows where, the, it gives you the hint on where to find the next needle. And really helpful, really nice people. But also, I think part of the reason why this game got never got localized, which we'll get to later. <laughs> so, um, yeah, possibly problematic designs. Yeah. Yeah, possibly. and... After after they die, you search their remains and you get an item that re-raises in battle, which I always thought was convenient, but I, always, I could never keep in my inventory because I would always randomly die and waste them encounter. See, I would always, uh, my inventory would always be full so they would never give me their item. But um, eventually you, you reach a point where there's a couple of needles left and one of them is on this island where you have to... Um, run basically across the bottom of the ocean and kiss uh, male mermaids or mermen to replenish your oxygen. And um, you eventually get washed up on this island and you're exhausted. And that's when you decide to eat some strange looking mushrooms and then just trip balls. (laughs) (laughs) And you're going through that dungeon. um, Like NPCs show up 
show up at that point or they look like they're NPCs, but you talk to them and they're actually uh, chimeras in disguise and yet you have to fight them and you get through this part, you pull a needle, you realize that the whole thing is, the whole dungeon was an illusion and that the hot spring that you went to was actually like a big old muddy uh, muddy trash pile. Yeah, yeah. Which, yeah, which is, your, first, you know, your first hint is that Boney is kind of like whimpers and doesn't want to go into it. Yeah. Yeah, and then w- once you pull that six needle, that's when um, chapter seven ends, and um, you get invited to New Pork City. Um, and you, you go to New Pork City, and it's kind of a mishmash of like different things that's clearly made by a kid. Um, there's also a lot of nods to Earthbound in in this part, like the um, playroom that has. Uh, Ness's yo-yo and a pre- present box and all sorts of neat little Easter eggs there. Yeah, the dungeon and... man's inside. Yeah, I did. I didn't notice the dungeon man. I'll have there... to go back and look at that. Yeah, there's even a very vague nod to the first mother. Uh, there's a piece of music plays in one of like the long halls. Come, it's like the opening jingle before you turn pre- turn on the game proper. I thought that was kind of neat. Like, okay, one little nod to my, to the very first mother game. But um, at this point, uh. Lord Porky invites you to go to the 100 floor tower and that's pretty much the final dungeon of the game and you're ascending the different parts of this tower and every floor he's like oh you think you think you're at the top but you're actually not and you have to take the elevator again um i think the second to the like one of the last ones has you playing mini games against a uh, robotic porky and you have to let him win but you can't let him win too much or he thinks that you're not much of a challenge yeah this was a very annoying dungeon <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah i just I, I just never knew when it was going to end because he just kept on telling me oh by the way this wasn't the top floor <laughs> yeah and you're fighting some pretty hard enemies at that point um especially towards the end with uh like one of the labs at the top with like some of the hardest chimeras in the game um so eventually you make it to the top you have a fight with Porky. Um, he's he's taunting you the whole time, and he's also like really old and in this cha- chamber where he's been made immortal, and which makes me wonder if Gygus made him immortal. It seems to be because he says earlier how he's been doing so much time traveling that somehow he's both super old and yet has the mind of a child, and that might have affected it. Yeah. As well, it's yeah, it's a, oh, skip the whole thing with lead leader earlier. Yeah, right. Um, so you, you run into Leader, who was a really tall man in the Tasmalee village that just rang the bell and never talked. Um, I mean, he, well, I say tall in that his, his sprite takes up the whole screen. And then you run into Leader, and that's when Leader decides to basically give you the info dump about what's been going on. And that the islands that you're living on were the last part of a civil, or the no more islands were the last part of a civilization that was destroyed by the dark dragon millions of not millions of years ago a well, long time ago it wasn't the dragon no uh it, it was that it, it he implies that is like ecological disaster that oh, okay. there was the world and then people destroyed it how probably uh, you know use your imagination i guess and then they escaped to the nowhere islands which is somehow a part of the world but not at the same time they never explained it's like a pocket dimension or something else going on and then they decided, well, we don't want to wipe ourselves out again, so let's erase all of our memories and then just live a peaceful life here. And okay. they, yeah, 
think they used the hummingbird egg for that. I want to say, yeah. I'm not really sure. And the, they, yeah, they figured one of them should still have memories, and that one was later. Yeah. Just in case. And, and then yeah. what was the bit about the dark dragon? Uh, because it was then that when they came to the Nowhere Islands, they encountered the um, gypsies who explained the dark what the dark dragon was. That it was under the that it was underground, and that there were a, pe- a civilization there earlier, but they had either been wiped out or just escaped because they were afraid of awakening the dragon. Mm-hmm. And explain the story: like if you pull the seven needles, uh, it might destroy the world, or if it was a good heart, it might recreate the world. Yeah, see, I interpreted that completely different. I thought it was the dragon that destroyed the world, but I might have misconstrued that apparently. I mean, I, but yeah, but so it, it's implied it's like an ecological disaster of some sort. Yeah. People, you know, or maybe I don't know, nuclear war, whatever. Yeah. So you get to the top of the tower. At, at some point, you find out that Facade actually was a gypsy that betrayed the other um, gypsies, and they don't even come out and say that. It's it's heavily implied because mm-hmm. each gypsy has a seashell for a house, and um, Facade's house is like in the middle of or in the middle of the 100 floor dungeon and you can tell it's his house because he's always eating bananas and leaving the peels everywhere and the house is just full of banana peels. Yeah, there's also a mouse in there that says he misses the Majipsy, but he, the Majipsy always laughed in a funny way, a way that was pretty similar to the way Facade uh, laughs. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I thought it was it was a nice little touch that he gets his comeuppance mm-hmm. from a, a banana peel. I think it's on the uh, airship and he slips on it and falls to his <laughs> supposed mm-hmm. demise. He was reconstructed with like a bunch of tubas coming out of his face or something for like a for one battle. I do remember that. Um, He shows up twice. At the first battle, he has like two tubas coming out of his nose and he can't talk. So he has a robot that talks for him. Oh, and yeah. then um, <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> and then I think in the sewer in New Pork City, you run into him again, and you defeat him, and that's when he's defeated for good. Um, so you have this climactic battle with Porky, who's pretty much taunting you the entire time, and when you beat T- Porky, he decides that he's not going to win- let you win, so he goes into this absolutely safe capsule that seals him inside, and it protects him from all harm, but it also means that he can't harm you, so he's pretty much trapped in the absolutely safe castle, or capsule for all of eternity and it was dr and donuts that uh, made it with that specification so that it couldn't be opened um so yeah uh kind of a sad fate for porky um but um so, so you, after you beat porky you kind of get into this last bit of the dungeon and duster kind of goes ahead in the dungeon because he figured out that uh the masked man that you've been running into the whole time has actually been your brother klaus and Klaus, or not Duster, I'm sorry, Flint. I get those two characters confused. Um, Flint, your father, finds out that the masked man is uh, Klaus. And Klaus basically kicks your dad's ass so that you have to go confront him. And you go confront the masked man, and he wipes out everybody except Lucas, and you have to fight, uh, quote-unquote, fight him one-on-one. But when you try to attack the masked man, it actually doesn't let you attack at all. He just says, for some reason, Lucas can't find bring himself to attack. So you have to defend pretty much the entire time. And you defend Hale, defend Hale, and you have to do this for quite a while before um, that fight is finally over. And then 
the masked man takes off his mask and it's Klaus. And you get into one final fight where he hits you with lightning and your Franklin badge reflects it and hits it back on him. And that's when Klaus kind of wakes up. Yeah, it might have been a sort of suicide, though, because before then, uh, presumably Hinawa's spirit is speaking to both of them and trying to, mm-hmm. and she's trying to tell Klaus, you know, you don't have to do this. Remember who you were, because presumably whatever turned him into a cyborg also was his memory. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or maybe it was from falling, all that I forget when you pick up the Franklin badge, but yeah, yeah at one yeah. point when he's still under the uh, Porky, he attacks uh, you with the Franklin badge and it, or the lightning attack, and it gets reflected by the Franklin badge. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's what you're able to get one of the needles because of it. Yeah, I I think your dad gives you the Franklin badge, and then when you meet with the Mister Saturns, one of them shines it for you, and that's when it turns into the Franklin badge. Oh yeah, right. We completely skipped over the Mister. There's the Saturn Valley yeah. on Nowhere Islands, by the way yeah um but you know Klaus dies at this point it's very sad Mm -hmm. but he's happy that he at least died while he was still um while he realized who he really was and then Lucas goes and pulls the final needle and the screen that like there's a whole bunch of cutscenes where um you can't tell if the world is being destroyed or not and then it cuts to black and that's the end of the game except it's not the end of the game because then all the characters say oh hey we're fine you can do this we believe in you thanks for helping us and by you they mean the player because yeah and at the end you hear porky laughing inside of his perfect capsule presumably never to hurt anybody else again (laughs) so yeah um that was the story in a nutshell. I like the story in this one considerably more than the other the other game, just because it seemed like stuff was actually happening. Well, yeah, it's like it's it's certainly you know it's, it's more you could it's more railroad you could argue, but it's mm-hmm. uh, you know it feels more important to the characters. They have an effect on the world instead of just things happening to them. And you know it's it's even though there's like a lot of ideas like how materialism can destroy things or how ecological disaster could be brought about, there's still the ultimately it's a story about a family that's broken apart by tragedy. You mm-hmm. know, something that can that a lot of people can identify with. Oh, that scene scene with uh Wes at the beginning or I'm sorry, Flint at the beginning Wes. and the uh when he finds out that Hinawa died by a drago, and um, just seeing him lash out uncontrollably like that, mm. you know, I've I've been that upset by Grimor, so I just all the feels, I just, my heart just wrenched at that scene. Yes, and of course the ending scene where the brothers are finally reunited, despite presumably Klaus dying. Though Flint spent the past three years, I think, trying to find him, believing he mm-hmm. was still alive somewhere, and. Lucas had been sort of abandoned. At least he's been living with his grandfather because Flint's been spending so much time trying to find him. Yeah, and you know, this whole time it's been implying that Lucas has, has been kind of a crybaby and very sensitive and sweet. Um, it's actually Lucas that stops Klaus from killing the Drago that killed his mom, which is how Klaus fell off the mountain. Um, I, I liked his characterization a lot, a lot, even though yeah, as soon as you start controlling him, he becomes. He very. I think he. He. I think he mostly stays silent throughout the, the game. Does he say anything in the beginning? I don't remember. I think he said. He pretty sure he said something to the player at the end during the whole blackout scene. Yeah. I mean, I honestly felt like just with those beginning scenes that it felt like he at least had a little bit more of a personality than Ness, which Ness oh, yeah, was just a sure. completely blank slate. Uh, yeah, for sure, for sure, definitely. Like he actually has a personality, and you you get an idea of his backstory and the other characters too. Maybe mm-hmm. l- less so, perhaps, but definitely they are. Uh, if I can remember, I'm trying to remember, like, I, 
what I, I now I'm remembering some sort of detail about this sort of about the uh, backstory of the game. Uh, if I remember, like Kumatora was was actually from like one of the survivors from the people that went over to the Nowhere Islands because apparently it's only been several decades since they moved over. Mm-hmm. She was still a baby, and they wanted to make her like that's why she's a princess in like a this abandoned castle. They wanted to make her part of the royal family, but for some reason they didn't complete the story. Yeah, she's a princess, so she's just been sitting. She's been sitting in that castle and was apparently raised by the gypsy. Uh, so she yeah. had an interesting little backstory there. And I honestly thought it was going to turn out that the uh, she was like half gypsy or something because her hair matched their hair color. But that I guess that was a red herring. Yeah, <laughs> but it, but she was raised by them, so yeah. I don't know. Maybe she dyed it purposely or something. I, I guess, but um, I definitely liked the the thought that the characters had better characterization in this one. Like, mm-hmm. B- Boney's dog is kind of sarcastic because he has to dress like a human for a good chunk for. A couple or like one of the chapters because you're well you're going backstage at t- club titty boo they're like no dogs allowed and then one of the bouncers says you distinctly smell like a dog in a kid which ha- which was a hilarious little scene um D- duster is kind of implied to be kind of an idiot well i mean not really stupid but just kind of dense but well-meaning and his father kind of treats him like crap oh yeah he, he hits him at times yeah um i can't remember why he has a limp i don't know if they explained it and they said i don't remember maybe they did but yeah, yeah. i guess Probably some kind of past injury. They're supposed to. They are supposed to be thieves. So yeah. Um, Duster. Duster has the distinction of having a whole bunch of tools that you can use to like inflict different status effects on the enemies. Um, so you can put them to sleep, or you can um, make them cry so that they hit hit you less. And then he has uh, debuffs for the enemies' offense and defense. So it's kind of a free way to de debuff the enemies before you even uh have to waste pk on a turn um yeah i always got those uh abilities i I couldn't remember what they did so and a lot of the time they were just they weren't effective i didn't use at least i it was in japanese for me so i was just like i'm not really sure what these do i didn't use them very often (laughs) yeah i see i played the translation patch and if you press select it said what each thing did including the items um so so rolling into the battle system it's the pretty much the same battle system from uh mother 2 but a little bit improved um it still has the rolling hit point counter and all of that um lucas is uh kind of your main damage dealer but he also has the best healing spells in the game so it's a little bit frustrating trying to decide well do i need to heal or should i have him get a hit in Mm -hmm. um kumatora has the best offensive magic in the game um she learns like your elemental spells and stuff but she also learns starfall and i think unlike the last game where starfall hits everybody in this game starfall just hits the enemies which is a breath of fresh air and then like like it was said earlier, Duster and Boney are kind of just there. They don't, I mean, aside from the debuff, they don't really do anything. I guess Boney can sniff out enemies' weaknesses and stuff like that, but it's kind of useless because it doesn't work on a lot of the bosses, which is kind of frustrating. So in my in my game, uh, Boney and Duster were pretty much just item bitches. <laughs> you will get all of the items, you will dispense items needed. And maybe get like a hit in, which which has actually kind of worked in your favor because Boney had the highest speed, so he always um, moved first. Makes sense being a dog. Yeah, he, he was really great for um, 
you know, giving a bunch of the highest level healing items so that if you really take a hit, then just have him use something at the beginning of the turn. And also, because the, um, neither of them used PK, he, they were also the ones that I gave all the magic restoring items to. Um, one neat thing about this game that's different about Mother or Mother 2, though, is um, the kind of uh, timed hits mechanic. Um, basically kind of taking it from Mario RPG and cranking it up to 11 to where if you tap the button to the beat of the, the battle music, then you can get extra hits in. Yes, and uh, if, if you put the enemies to sleep, you could, I bl- it made it easier, and there's at some point where you can hear like their heartbeat, I can't remember if that's putting to sleep or something else that would also make it easier to time. Yeah, it was putting to sleep. It was putting to sleep, okay, because I, I do remember having so much trouble with that for some reason. I, I but but yeah, if you're if you're good at like following the rhythm, then you can get in up to sixteen hits, I think, and do a lot of damage. <laughs> I never got to sixteen hits. I was no no totally I with the timing. <laughs> and it was really interesting because a lot of there was like so many different battle themes in this oh, yeah. game. Like to take um, so you couldn't just memorize one and have it be okay. Um, I I was never very good at it, but I've also heard that if you're playing this on an emulator, and not actual hardware, that that the whole thing is just off, which kind of makes sense. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I had the actual GBA. I, I, I guess I just had very lousy rhythms. Still. <laughs> I'm pretty good at the at rhythm, so I don't think I got better. Yeah, every time I did it, I always did it by accident. Um, well, I guess, well, we'll get into the music and stuff later, but mm-hmm. I I really like the battle system in this game this time around just because it seemed like a lot more, I, I don't know, it, it seemed a lot quicker and a lot less difficult than the previous game and also the fact that you actually had a key items page so that you managed the inventory is oh, yeah. much easier it, they were larger too so that helped a lot yeah um the fact that you had a permanent dash button also helped a lot with kind of the pacing of this game yeah you could actually avoid enemies too if you wanted to and battles were more strategic when you wanted them to be too so that's fun especially for the bosses mm-hmm yeah, awesome. and uh, what, what this was the uh, the third game in the series where the the final boss, oh yeah, like some gimmick was yeah, a puzzle you boss. You can't actually beat the final boss in the sense of in the usual sense of the word. You have to tough it out and do something unexpected, sing, pray, and I guess have a your the ghost of your mother talk to the boss. And I I will give this game credit. Some of the enemy designs in this game were pretty freaky. Yeah, that's not even barring the chimeras. There's just the clay, like the, yeah, they had the clay enemies themselves. There was that, what were, I think they're called the barrier trio, these three strange blocky creatures that guarded one of the needles. Yeah, those were extra creepy, especially yeah. since they were like really big buff dudes, but they had teeny little faces. Yeah, the, yeah, those things. And then you had things like a wolf with a cactus on its head, which I guess could have been a chimera, I'm not really sure. The cows that had long snake necks. Uh, yeah. The uh, the 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 ostriches that had an elephant head for a body. Yeah. Yeah, just some extra bizarre enemies. Again, I guess chimera, little hog wild there. Pun intended. I mean, I couldn't tell if they were like less freaky or more freaky than the sentient stop signs or whatever in the, um, Earthbound. Yeah, but yeah, so there's a wide variety of. And um, some of the boss fights were really challenging in this one. Like the one at the bottom of the ocean, I was convinced that you had to um, actually beat it. And I, I kept dying like right before you hit the point to where the game, the battle is supposed to end. And then I looked up at a guy and they was like, oh, just you're supposed to lose this battle. And so I kept losing the battle and the, the guy never explained, no, you have to like do a certain amount of damage and then they'll do an ultimate attack that'll help you, that'll make you lose the battle and then wash up on shore. It's like, oh, okay. I didn't realize that. 
Yeah, I definitely felt that this game was a little more difficult than Earthbound, especially some of the random encounters. I, I felt like there was a, a kind of Dragon Quest 1 feel to it. If you wandered too far away from the main path, you, you could stumble across an enemy that could destroy your party. Yeah, or a nod back to the first game, actually, because that's the same thing. Like, your barriers were defined by, okay, this thing is way stronger. I guess I'm not supposed to be here. <laughs> I, I found PK management very hard because um, some of the regular counter encounters could be pretty tough and trying to manage your PK so that you'd have enough to be able to even take on the boss got a little got a little irritating. Yeah, and there there wasn't a lot of uh, areas where the, the butterflies spawn either. Yeah. How often did those hot springs uh, pop up? I don't remember. I think they were somewhat easier to come across than like the hospitals or whatever you needed for the uh, first things. Oh, oh yeah. The, this game was definitely better with having a spot where you could take a breather and save mm -hmm. and stuff like that. And um, a lot of the spots also had a mole cricket that would sell stuff and then an item guy, which basically worked like the Escargo Express, but he had significantly more storage. I don't know if you could fill him the item guy's inventory up or not like you could with the Escargo Express. Eh, never tried. But, but the, the nice thing about the item guy in this game is that item's actually stacked, which was a godsend. Yeah, uh, no more like three, you know, bags of dragon, dragon nine in a row. Not that they had oh, a dragon nine, but that was annoying. Oh, I know. Games where items don't stack get on my but that's a pet peeve of mine. Um, trying to think of also some of the more difficult boss fights. Uh, the one where you had to fight Klaus, or no, fight, fight the mask, fight a gorilla and then the masked man. That was like my oh, DPS check for the game. That, I yeah, actually, I actually had to go grind a little bit before I could take that on again, just because it was so hard. Um, then the nice thing about this game and uh, Earthbound though is that as long as you're keeping your money in the bank, dying doesn't really set you back all that bad. You you pretty much just go to your last save point, but you keep all the experience and stuff, but you lose half of your money. And I always made a point just to keep all of my money sands like a thousand bucks um in the bank at all times, so that if I did die, I could at least bounce back and try again. It's the Dragon Quest method. Yeah. And which, again, being a parody of Dragon Quest, uh, at least in it to begin with, is appropriate. I'm just, I'm so used to the Final Fantasy model where a game over is a game over that when games don't have that and just punish you by taking your money, I'm always kind of taken back. Plus, I always forget, forget that that's a thing. I always, Mr. Uh, Mr. Uh, Mac, that would uh, talk about how, you know, with the, with our lives being so busy and stuff, he'd really appreciate how games like Dragon Quest, you wouldn't feel like you lost everything just because you had a party wipe, right? As long as you're keeping most of your gold in the bank, you're just losing pretty much half the gold you made along the way, but you're keeping all the XP, so you're still making progress even when you die and you get sent back to town or the beginning of a dungeon or whatever. You still, in a way, your party still got stronger. Especially in the la last half of the game, because I know in Porky's Dungeon, there were some uh, enemies that had one-hit kills, uh, like kind of doom-esque doom spells that could uh, basically kill you in one hit without the rolling HP. And that, that was frustrating. Yeah, I remember um, the, the, the fight where you had to fight the Porky was kind of annoying. Oh, that was also frustrating as hell, because they could hit like trucks. And then, I think there was like seven of them you had to uh, clear through. I think, I think it might have been a bonus boss, but wasn't there a robot nade in that tower too that was super tough? But I think it's about, yeah. like a bonus boss, so you're not necessarily supposed to beat it right then and prepared. Yeah, that's the one that um, fights you if you touch um, Ness's yo-yo and the oh, playroom. Right. 
because I ran into that one by accident and got my ass handed to me and then picked up the guy and was like, oh, okay, this is an optional boss and I don't want the yo-yo anyway because if it's if this is anything like the last game, then yo-yos suck. Um, what else? So, curiously uh, called that the friends yo-yo in this game. As it, I don't know if Porky was just being um, like being funny or if he does miss Ness in some way. <laughs> I mean, who who knows? He's been alive for so long. Maybe he kind of regrets the fact that he, his only friend, he kind of pushed away. Yeah, and then also apparently he can't go back to any of the other timelines. He's somehow been locked out, so he's kind of stuck there in the nowhere islands, causing chaos. Like he, is. um, one of the other funnier boss fights, uh, boss battle fights, is with the bouncer at the club titty boo because if you have a um dcmc pamphlet then all you have to do is just show the boss the pamphlet and it'll it'll stun it for returns because it's such a huge dcmc fan that um he's just a lot walked in eyes with the default and i thought that that was kind of a neat touch i mean the band did have some catchy music yeah yeah i i definitely cranked up the volume for that that concert mainly because i thought well dcmc surely this is a reference to acc and I forgot when uh, Duster reunites. Yeah, Duster does reunite with the band later in the game and plays a song with them. Yeah, it's in New Pork City. They yeah. I think it's to, to distract something that you can advance. Yeah. But that whole bit was just really touching with how much the rest of Duster's band just was so happy to see him again. And it's like, hey, want to play bass for us one more time? And and that's what and that's what I liked about this game is that it had more moments like that that kind of just made you feel good mm-hmm. <laughs> to balance out all of the tragedy at the first first chapter. That's for sure. I'd say there's plenty at the end of the game too. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. And then there's there's plenty in the middle too. This is not the type of game you should play if you want to feel good about living in an amazingly industrialized and capitalist society. Yeah, I think yeah, the, the main like the main slogan of this game was strange, funny, heartrend and heartrending, which is uh, very appropriate. Yeah, it definitely made me feel weird for enjoying my own happy box, which is video games. But um yeah, a, a kind of a funny aside was um when I started playing this game, uh my brother randomly also picked the game up at the same time. So, not necessarily competing with one another, but we were keeping tabs on each other's like progress throughout the games you know i would tell him where i was and he'd be like oh i'm in the 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 lava dungeon about to get this needle and we were going back and unlike lucas and claus we were actually uh jovi not trying to kill each other which (laughs) at the end of the game was was very unfortunate claus yeah um, that that was sad mm -hmm. um it it was also like the back half of the game that i realized wait a minute lucas and claus are anagrams of each other that's kind of a neat touch reference to uh the novel the notebook although not having read it i'm not really sure what significance that may be other than just yeah being anagram so uh speaking of references like the game before this this game has a lot of music reference um the one that got to me in particular was at the beginning of the game where you fight a bat and i'm like wait a minute is that the 60s batman theme yes yes it is Batman. Yeah, I was like, yeah, that could be possibly one reason why this also didn't get localized because that that's pretty blatant. Wham! <laughs> um, some of the other musical themes reference Beethoven in that too. And are you just saying that because it took so long to get the Batman show out on disc because of rights issues? Could be. <laughs> 
and I'm sure Nintendo doesn't want to paw through any more of those than it has to. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I really like the music in this game. Um, certainly, it was it was I will. It, it definitely felt catchy, especially since you kind of had to pay attention to it if you wanted to do any well in battle. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I swear one of the themes was uh, referencing the Austin Powers song, but I couldn't find any definite proof on that. So maybe it was just me hearing things. I think if I can think, I mean, there's a few obviously recurring things. Obviously, the snowman comes back of a few shout outs. Oh, sorry. I know we're talking about music, but one thing I forgot to mention is that like the final bit before you meet Porky, um, you float through that museum that has all the different things from Earthbound. That oh, I yes. also thought that's was a the cool one that touch. had the hall with the one piece of Earthbound Beginnings music in it. And yeah, where no other references to the uh, some of the enemies. Uh, there's a few and returning and the bats, this funny looking sect widow. Um, I I remember seeing the in that mu- particular museum, like the pencil and the eraser, the Mister Saturn ship, um, the yellow submarine. Uh, I think Tessie was there. The yellow uh, color is a pure coincidence. Yeah, just all kinds of neat little touches that was. I thought it was a great Easter egg to put in there for people that had played the previous game, especially since I played these games back to back. But and um, I thought the graphics looked pretty good too in in, in this game. It actually gave me a um, Mario and Luigi with the color palette and stuff like that. Well, that's some pretty high praise. It's a well animated and good looking game. This, I mean, these sprites are very well animated. They're very articulate, especially the uh, near the beginning when Flint, uh, in his grief, starts swinging around that piece of wood that's on fire. Mm-hmm. Uh, the facial expressions are—I mean, they're relatively expressive, but like their movements are especially uh, really good. And uh, it's again developed by Brownie Brown, and they do really good job there uh, on sprite work. Or yeah, they, so... I think they're called something else now, brownies or something. So, so this game was supposed to release Nintendo 64 oh, yes. as Earthbound 64, but that and, and uh, I'm led to believe that a lot of the story was kept and brought into some project. There, yeah, there are images of Flint walking into like a saloon 64 graphic as far as what what all was. I mean, there's a obviously. I mean, I, I imagine they don't have much in the way of a fit. Didn't have much of a way of finished product because that's why they stopped it. They tried to develop it. It was for the N64 disk drive system thing that uh, never really. I mean, I, it went out. In, it came out in Japan, but they never did much with it. And they just uh, the, the the team had no idea what to do if N64 graphics was reliable. It was just put on hold and the GBA. But um, I, there's like a few uh, short videos and and screenshots. You see Lucas and Klaus in a minecart. And nothing like that ever shows up in the final product. Uh, there's uh, Lucas driving around in like a pig mask car of some sort. Uh, that's very different from like the uh, something else they drive in later in the game. But that's all I can recall. Otherwise, you see a lot of similar. You see like the uh, the the, the uh, party trying to grab onto a helicopter. Uh, you see Boney crying in the rain, crying presumably after what happened to Hinawa and uh, here. And, but uh, some of the enemies look fairly what showed up in the final product. Oh, look, there's An- there's Dr. Andonuts, and there's Facade and, Sal- and Salsa. So yeah, like a lot of the story and the characters certainly tra- uh, did get transferred over, even though they had to throw out the origin. Um, this game came out in 2006, which was pretty much like at the very end of the um, GBA's life, which I imagine is why the graphics look so good, because, you know, late, late era games always tend to look better. Yeah. <laughs> um. If I remember correctly, that was pretty much when the GBA was winding down and DS was the new hotness. 
Yeah, so that's probably a, a major reason why it, it, we never got Mother 3 localized. And I still wonder, what would they would they still call it Mother 3? Or what would they call it if it were to ever get some kind of re-release here? <laughs> I figured that they would call it Earthbound 2. It's just, it's been known as Mother 3 for so long. And even Nintendo jokes about it. Like, NOA jokes about it. I mean, but you saw what they did with uh, Seiken Densetsu. They renamed that when they finally yeah. brought it. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So I guess calling it Earthbound 2 or Earthbound Mother something, maybe. Earthbound Dark Dragon. <laughs> or, heck, release all three games and suddenly it's Earthbound Beginning, Earthbound, Earthbound Mother. I don't know. <laughs> so, so how did y'all play this game? I have um, an import copy from, like, an import from Japan that I bought from uh, an online store. And again, I played it using the uh, translated script that was released before the fan translation. Um, emulation on my Vita. I bought a cartridge uh, from Amazon that was translated for my Game Boy, Game Boy Advance. Oh. You know, I, that's, I had, that's... I had the cartridge on my Game Boy Advance, and it was the original Japanese cartridge, yeah. so I just played it in Japanese. Okay, so I was just, I was wondering, because I was, I, I did, I'm glad, uh, who was that who said that, uh, that they played the translated cartridge? That was me, Ryan. Me. Ryan, right. Uh, yeah, so I was wondering because, I, of course, my my sole purpose on the main event is just to look up the prices after introducing the game, of course. And on eBay, one of the first things I pulled up was uh, an English fan translation of a cartridge for $14. And yeah, I was going to ask you how that does that work or ask anybody if, if they knew if that was if th- those things work out or not. Yeah, that sounds about right. I, I don't think I paid more than 20 bucks for this. And uh, I think early on I had some green screens, but then the game never had any more issue to that. And I... Uh, I played it to completion just with my Vita emulator, and it seemed to work just fine. Um, let's talk about the fan translation for a little bit, because this was like one of the biggest fan projects I've ever seen uh, somebody take on. And the the main guy behind it, Clyde Mandolin, is like kind of a legend in the localization community. He's published several books called Legends of Localization that you can find on um, fangamer.com that are just really interesting little looks into what changes during localization. And the Earthbound, well, I haven't actually read the Earthbound one, but I've heard that that one is pretty awesome. Hmm. Um, I don't. I don't know if you guys have ever looked into Clyde Mandolin stuff. I mean, I've heard of. I mean, I've heard of him, and I, I was even. I, I used to even post on the Starman.net forums when he frequented back in the day. So I've discovered him in in the past year or so, looking at Legends of Localization a lot, and I got his book on the machine translation of Final Fantasy IV, which is extremely amusing. <laughs> Mm-hmm. But um, I never dealt with his Earthbound or Mother stuff because uh, probably because I have only come to it recently and I haven't played a Mother game in a while. Yeah, um, he has a YouTube channel where he goes through games like Final Fantasy VI and does compares like a fan translation to what what actually came out versus like a straight Google translation, and it, it's really. Uh, I talk about this because I'm really nerdy about this kind of stuff. I, I love looking into like localization changes and stuff like that. And yeah, they they did a stand up job with the uh, fan translation of this. Um, it's it's one of the best fan translations I think I've ever played through. Of course, yeah, I, th- I think I was the only one that. Well, no, uh, Ryan said that he played a fan translated cart. Uh, yeah, it 
it it was a it was a very unique story, uh, very touching. I didn't find any errors. Um, yeah, I thought it was I thought it was handled very well. It, you know, it made me it evoke some emotions throughout the game. You know, laughter, mm-hmm. anger, sadness. Uh, yeah, um, whoever whoever did it, I'm I'm guessing we probably uh, shared this. It did it. They yeah. Did a really good job. Yeah, and and shout out to to people that do that because that is a labor of love, and that cannot be easy to take on. And 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 the fact that they have to do it for and if I remember correctly, when um, GBA uh, virtual consoles console started to be a thing, they like even said, just please just use our translation for free and put it on the eShop. Which of course I don't think Nintendo can do that legally. Yeah, no, especially if there's multiple. Even if even if uh, you know Clyde was like the the main one behind it with multiple people, that's just a a mess that can be hard to untangle. Yeah. Well, that and Nintendo hates everything to do with emulation we know this even if it uses emulation for the virtual console never mind emulation in any other form is always evil no ifs ands or buts according to nintendo i'm very certain it's just more the the writing with that <laughs> well i mean it's, it's the same reason why uh People in TV can't use fan scripts because of the legal implications. Or they can't even legally read fan scripts. So I imagine that there's clauses in that that's like you can't borrow from a fan translation because people that worked on it can sue you, even if they said it's okay. So, I mean, it's unfortunate that this game never did get localized because I certainly would have bought it just because I bought every RPG on the GBA back in the day, even even that late in the GBA's life. Um, I I don't know how they would have gotten around some of the issues like the uh, Magipsies thing because, um, you know, they're... They they could come off as a little bit problematic because that yeah. was in a pre-trans rights time and yeah, that's just... the, the name alone is kind of problematic. Since yeah, Jesse is well, I don't know if it's necessarily a slur. It's definitely not a polite way to refer to the Romani. So, um, a lot of people consider it a slur now. Yeah. I I don't see a lot of people using it anymore. Yeah. And then the fact that the mid gypsies could she could be seen as a transphobic portrayal of trans people just is uncomfortable. Yeah, so, um, yeah if it were to get a re-release, it would be interesting to see what, how they handle for it. For the... Yeah, they kept on teasing that they were going to release it at some point on the virtual console or along no, with the Nintendo Online. Um, no, I mean, Reggie cause... had 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 always hinted, he's like, oh, you guys like, you know, Earthbound? People are always speculating, oh, that means he's going to release Mother 3 and it never happened. So I was always waiting patiently, hoping that they would do it. But uh, last year, you know, I, I bit the bull. Well, it, it seems like uh, that y'all really enjoyed uh, this game. And really, uh, you know, e- e- for, for 13 to 20 bucks on eBay to get a translated cartridge doesn't seem like a bad deal at all. If you d- don't, don't want to grab the original Japanese and work through it like Mike did. <laughs> I mean, I think it's the best game of the... Well, now, our, our, our list, before we talk about that, our listeners demand the best. So, of course, I didn't stop at just finding, you know, the inexpensive, affordable, you know, translated ROM or cartridge. No, no, no. I found myself a new factory sent mint condition game, and it's only $109.99, but it does come with free shipping. Is that the Japanese version? Ooh, you know, this one... Uh, what is this VGDB homebrew? What does that mean? 
probably not a Japanese card by the sound of it. Yeah, bear in mind, if you buy a quote-unquote English copy of this, it is kind of considered a bootleg Uh using their fan translation and kind of profiting off off of it without their permission. So just keep that in mind if you do get a repo card. Um... I feel like I feel like the guys you know who are asking for thirteen dollars probably aren't making a a whole lot on them, but the guy asking for a hundred and nine dollars. I don't know, yeah, but it might be a little bit less ethical. There's a gray area with repo cards, especially if they're using fan translations, because oftentimes those are used without permission. Ah, and part of the gray area of fan translation is that it. They do it for free. Yeah, totally uh, understandable. The, the game even had a disclaimer at the beginning of it on my copy saying, hey, this was a free tr- fan translation. Support the actual product. So yep. mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not here to preach morality on the show. I'm just here to make people aware that... Uh, preach it, sister. Preach it. Uh, <laughs> preach it. it. You're not going to preach it. morality about playing a Nintendo game on the Vita? No. <laughs> preach it. Preach it. Preach it. Yeah. All right. All right, all right. Let's wrap this up with a round table here. Uh, I want you to tell me um, uh, what are your what, so what's the order of the the of how much you how you like these games? Okay, for if you just played two or one, and I guess you're only talking about the game you like. But uh, if you played all three, tell me which one's the best and why. And we'll start off with Mister Platinum. All right, I only did play Earthbound, uh, but it's interesting enough, and hearing. Sitting for the last hour and listening Spoilers. to the uh, <laughs> Mother 3. You all had my head spinning there, so I, I don't have the best listening comprehension. So I can play this game and be completely surprised by everything that you just spent the past hour talking about. It's all right. But that one does sound pretty good, and uh, I might have to play myself a little Nintendo game on my Vita sometime soon. All right. Uh, how about Miss Relly? Um, I, I definitely think the my order goes in reverse order of the game. So Mother Three, Earthbound, and then Earthbound Beginnings. Um, just because I think Mother Mother Three kind of encapsulated what they tried to do with the other two games and made it better, and the fact that it actually had a more of a cohesive story to it made made it the best for me of the three, and made it um made it the most heartwarming. Righty, uh, Mr. Ryan. Well, uh, nostalgia is one hell of a drug, so uh, my order would be Earthbound at three. I never did actually Mother game, but uh, yeah, I agree. the The third game has the best story, but I grew up playing Earthbound. It's got a little special, maybe hard for for any any uh, subsequent to knock it off. Miss Cassandra. Yeah, going backwards for sure. While I do have a strange fondness for Earthbound Beginnings, uh, Mother 3 is just head and shoulders above the other two games. Uh, Great story, uh, like characters that actually feel like characters, uh, like the battle system is refined, and it's definitely, like, it definitely, like, gets what the other two games were trying to do, Uh, being a sort of modern and parody of uh, JRPGs. It it is an excellent game. And the other two are certainly no slouches. Earthbound is great. And again, I, I have a strange fondness for Earthbound Beginnings despite being some kind of archaic and difficult. Mr. Minky. Let's see. I played Mother 3 the one and only time almost 10 years ago now. And I'm a lot of my memories of it have faded, as you could tell, most likely, by my relative silence during this segment. But I definitely enjoyed the time I spent with it. 
And if I was to play it again now, I might use some sort of illicit method to ensure that the language was no longer a barrier. I don't know what kind of illicit method that would be, but I would probably do it because I did buy the copy after all. Um, Earthbound, I have longer experience with. I did play it more than once back in the days when I actually played games more than once on a regular basis. Those are long gone. And I enjoyed it each time I played it. I don't know that I'd rank... They're trying to do different things. Earthbound is much more of an explorative game, and Mother 3 is much more of a linear narrative experience. And I think they both do a pretty darn good job at it. They each have unique mechanics that I wish would be thrown around in some other games instead of left to dry forever. And I think they're both worth experiencing in some regard. And I haven't touched Earthbound Beginning, so I can't really comment on that. Sorry. Well, cool. Thank you all very much. That was a uh, very exciting trip through a trilogy of very different and interesting games. Uh, We're going to go ahead and take another break and we'll come back to wrap up this marathon with the final lap. This is uh, the final app where we read your comments, tell you what we're playing, and all kinds of other fun stuff. We do happen to have a comment, Mr. Minky. Am I reading it, or would you like to? Uh, if you got, do you have it up? I have it up. From PJ Thomas eighty seven. I would just like to note here that back when I was just a youngin, there was a copy of Chrono Trigger being sold at GameStop for around eighty dollars used. I remember overhearing a transaction and thinking, "Ew, why on?" Earth would someone pay $80 for a shooter game? They're all so bad. Poor, naive me. And I would have to editorialize that not all shooter games are so bad. <laughs> that's that's just me. <laughs> uh, man, boy. But yeah, if, if you find a copy of Chrono Trigger on Super Nintendo complete in box for 80 bucks now... I would say you should take that bargain right there and then. Do not think. That's a good investment into your future. Hell, just even for your present. That's a retirement fund there. 
Well, if you I can find it, trigger for eighty bucks when I when I was younger. <laughs> if you can find a copy of Earthbound in its original box, complete for eighty bucks, I would say you should take that bargain right now. <laughs> I pass up on a cart for eighty bucks, and I'm regretting that. <laughs> that is awesome. Hey, thank you so much for that comment. You too can leave your comments by going to the most recent episode of the RPG Backtrack on our website, rpgamer.com. Uh, you can log in there and leave a comment, or you can hit us up on Twitter. We'll give you all those credentials at the end, so have your pins handy or your keyboards. Uh, at RPGamer.com, you'll also find a whole bunch of news, reviews, and all kinds of fun stuff for the RPG enthusiast in your family. We have articles up about Monster Hunter World Iceborne, you know, because there's not enough angry monsters. They're, they're bringing some new variants, including... Uh, furious Rajon, because Rajon wasn't angry enough yet. We have uh, we have some news. Uh, I can't even pronounce the name of that series. Utuweru Mono. When do y'all pronounce that? We, we call it Underwater Ray Romano on RPG Cast. <laughs> nobody can say. No it. one can say it. I'm actually uh, I'm actually working through that uh, the Steam version that just came out, so I can eventually write an article on it. The, the other when games, I, not when this I said one. the name Yasujiro Ozu to a co-worker a couple days ago, she said, when did you start speaking Japanese? <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I was just looking at the website today, and I learned that Pathfinder Wrath of the Righteous, which if you don't know, it's a, you know, Pathfinder is a pen and paper role-playing game. Pathfinder Kingmaker for the PC was a computer uh, version of the Pathfinder board game experience. And it's it's made in the vein of Baldur's Gate, but with the Pathfinder rules and and uh, Paizo's World of Galarian. Uh, recently, they started a Kickstarter for a new standalone. I I, I, can, I don't know if it's a sequel or expansion, but it's called Pathfinder: Wrath of the Righteous. And on RP Gamer, you can find out details that they uh, will be adding a turn-based mode, which is super exciting to me because anybody who's listening to RPG Backtrack knows how I feel about these uh, D and D type of games being forced into a real-time model i just hate it it takes away so much of strategy it makes it makes the game unnaturally difficult so i applaud them for adding a turn-based uh ver uh mode into this upcoming release i will definitely be buying that now but you can find all of that and so much more right there on our website let's do a round table and let's start off with ancient new guy oh hey that's me what's new i'm glad i'm <laughs> Quite a bit since the last time I've been on, um, but I'll just I'll just talk about what's been going on in 2020 lately. Uh, we wrote an article, um, a bunch of us here on RP Gamer, about our 2020 gaming goals, and I had one that I really wanted to get on with, and then I stole one from Ryan. But the first gaming goal that I wrote was I wanted to quit more games because I have a habit of if I play a game, RPG, especially. And even if it's not really gelling with me, I will stick with it. I will keep worrying about it, keep coming back to it, play a half hour here, a half hour there, and it'll drag out for months and months until I actually finish it. But I need to break myself of that habit. Right. And when there's games. Ancient new guy, I want you to imagine right now, I'm, uh -oh. I'm embracing you close to my bosom. <laughs> I'm holding you. I'm petting your head. It's okay. Let it go. It's okay. I give you permission to let go of that bad, bad game. Now, here it is, uh, the year after the second Frozen movie. I'm finally learning to let it go. So, nice. uh, four wheels. 
And you shouldn't even be learning Let It Go from the second Frozen movie. You should be learning Into the Unknown. I know. Well, that's what I need to do. I need to let these games go and go Into the Unknown of other games that might be better. You might. And, and I'm going to do a plug here for the Broadway version of Let It Go. If you're going to play, if you need to play a song to get you away from the game, play the Broadway version. It's really good. Okay. You know what? I'm going to go one even further. Further in my world, there is no Frozen. There's Let It Go, and it's by Def Leppard. Listen to that one. You know, you don't even have to watch the movie. You could just go to the Frozen world in Kingdom Hearts three, and they have the song there for you. <laughs> I, I have so many options here available to me. I don't even know how taking notes right now. How did this all become a side topic uh, of us just giving up like eighteen different ways for him to let it go? Uh, that is funny. <laughs> I know. Poor Wheels and the Q and A Quest cast uh, would be sad to know that, um, and they know this already because i've asked them a million questions about romancing saga 2 and i had to let that one go after about 20 hours it was a little bit too rng and it was a little bit too esoteric weird for me jumping through time skips and uh, wheels was like oh well just let your players die and start a whole next generation well yeah every time i did that it took me like 25 minutes to get my players re-equipped for the next generation i was like oh my god i can't keep doing this no so no. i did let I let Matt, that one go. What what you need to understand in, to get into Wheels' mindset, you have to say that everything Akitoshi Koazu does is great. Yes, exactly. So I I gave it a try. I gave it like twenty five hours, and finally I was like, nope. No, I haven't even touched. What I think there's like seven big people that are destroying the world or want to take over the world, and you take out one in like the first chapter, and then. The whole rest of the goal of the game is building up enough whatever to take out the other six. I never even sniffed to the other six, six, 25 hours in. I didn't even feel like I was close to getting to one. So I was like, okay, we have to put this aside and focus on my other goal of 2020. And that's getting more into the uh, Trails of series, The Legend of Heroes. Because I played uh, Trails in the Sky 1. I played Tales of uh, Trails of Cold Steel 1. Played both of those, beat those. And finally, right around the time that Ryan was starting Trails in the Sky 2, I did. And I was kind of keeping neck and neck with him for like three days. And Ryan, where are you in uh, the, your Trails adventure now? I'm I'm in uh, Trails in the Sky the third at the Yes, and I am in Trails in the Sky 2, Chapter 3. <laughs> so okay. the, our, the... our neck and neck didn't last very long. I got uh, mainly derailed by actually Earthbound here because I picked that up to uh, give that a good go before this recording. And then uh, something else that I just dropped an article on RP Gamer this week, um, probably last week by the time you're hearing this at least, uh, I got the review copy of Rune Factory 4, and I've been enjoying the heck out of it. This I was one of my top... That. Now that's on the Switch, yeah, right? It was, it's on the Switch. Um, yeah, it was I one of my Rune Factory Four being on the was it 3DS before? Yeah, 3DS. Yeah. Okay. I easily put I think about 120 hours if I remember the last time I looked at my uh, 3DS time log into this one. Um, it was excellent. I, I loved the game on the 3DS. So far, um, what I can talk about so far, the first like 10, 15 hours, because um, it's not completely out from being media. Um, but the part I can talk about. So far, it's Rune Factory 4 for the 3DS, just on one screen. It looks better. It sounds a little better. Other than that, gameplay right up to through now is 
identical. And I know there's stuff that they've added later, but I haven't even gotten close to that. Couldn't talk about it if I did, but I'm not anywhere even close to hitting that. This is a this is a long game. You're in it for the long haul, and I'm having a blast farming and crafting, um, fighting. It, it really is quite good. But you can check out my impression on RP Gamer. Um, it was funny because when I said I'd get an impression out this week, I did tell uh, our boss here that I said, well, I'm going to write an impression, but basically it's going to be, it's the same game. It looks better. It plays nicer. And that's about it. And he was like, that's okay. Uh, and really, the only other thing right now uh, that I've been pretty much up to is I woke up at 4 a.m. this morning to catch Dragon Quest Your Story right as it released. Wow. I knew the um, Netflix was releasing it earlier today at about 3 a.m. And I went to bed with my kids really early last night, got up and watched it in entirety and took like a whole page of notes as I was doing it. Um, Because I have a little side podcast called Slime Time, and we're going to go through all of it and spoil the heck out of it sometime this weekend, I believe. So it was an enjoyable movie. There, There is some kerfuffle about the ending, and I won't spoil anything, but I think most of the people I've talked to today were like, oh, that wasn't as bad as Japanese media or people said it was. So I enjoyed it. I know a lot of other people probably want to catch it on Netflix in the next few weeks. Um, the Just, rest of the RPG cast is actually trying to organize a watch party for it. it. It has a lot of cute moments. I think it was animated very well. The sounds are there. It's the story of Dragon Quest V for the most part. So, which I think is one of the better Dragon Quest stories. And yeah, uh, honestly, you know, you, you, there'll be a little kerfuffle about something at the end, and eh, it is what it is. Do, do I need to look decisions up decisions? Were. Do, do I need to look up does the dog do you, die dot com? There's no dog. Well, I know, but it also <laughs> says cats die too. Is it a kerfuffle or a ker crackle? Oh, it, it's it's ker something. <laughs> ker thwack. It definitely has one of the onomatopoeia things going on there. But no, um, none of the none of the kerfuffle has to do with deaths. None of it has to do with uh, whatever. Apparently, it's some weird anime trope that they threw in. It okay. just kind of was out of left field in the movie. And eh, I, I try not to overthink those things too much. So it didn't, it, I, it was like, eh, what the heck are you doing in my Dragon Quest movie? But it didn't bug me too much. Fair enough. How about you, Miss Relly? Well, I am playing something completely out of my comfort zone right now. I started the Mass Effect series. Ooh, how's that going? Um, it's going pretty good. I am in chapter so seven. What, Mass Effect one is on Steam, right? Yeah. Uh, well, I'm I'm not sure. I picked these up for like dirt cheap at a used game store for the. For the was, I was Mass Effect one on three sixty. Yeah, geez, I thought it was so old that it might have been on original Xbox, but I guess it was three sixty. Yeah, no, it was, and I could tell because the face models look horrible. Um, but I, you know, I listen to a lot of podcasts. Um, while I'm at while I'm working, and a lot of the gaming ones have been, uh, you know, games of the decade, and pretty much every single list had Mass Effect Two on there, and they were playing clips from the game, and I was like, okay, this, how did this miss my? Well, I know how it missed my radar because I don't really like sci-fi all that much, and I thought for the longest time I thought it was a dude bro shooter until it was pointed out to me that it was in fact an RPG. So it's like, okay, well, 
next time I see it at a game shop, I'll pick it up. And of course, lo and behold, that weekend I'm at a game shop and each each game in the series was like seven bucks. So um started out with Mass Effect 1. I'm on Chapter 7 right now. I'm playing Femship, which I'm told is Canon Shep. Um, <laughs> just uh, banged one of the crewmates, which... Well, it's like I can kind of see why this caused a kerfuffle back in the day, because there was definitely some side boob there. Um, I, I'm enjoying it thus far, even though the some of the aiming using the 360 controller has been driving me up the wall, um, particularly in the uh, in the vehicle, the Mako, the Moonlander thing is what it's called. Um, I don't know how many other people. The are Mako, here. I think it's the yeah, Mako. the Mako. Yeah. Um, I don't know how many uh, other people on here have played through Mass Effect. I I tried to get into it. Maybe one day I'll try again. I put I, I put a good number of hours into it, and then I hit this one mission that I just felt like a brick wall and just frustrated me. I'm not. It felt like I had just kept because the save point would trigger right before the combat would start. So it just uh, kind of kept going into a loop. And it just, there's like a sniper on the roof, and there's a certain way you got to really approach this. And I, I just got frustrated. I'm not a huge fan of the real-time party trying to do combat anyways, but yeah. But it was uh, really cool, I, really great. I mean, beautiful, beautiful game, and lots of, lots of imagination and detail. Yeah, uh, I, I'm playing it on the absolute easiest setting that I can put it on so that I can enjoy the story and not get angry at the combat, which has done me a lot of favors, even though I have died a lot. Um, but at, at the same time, it's nice to just walk into a room full of aliens and just mow them all down with my assault rifle. Um, yeah, it's probably been, a wise decision. Yeah, I've been getting into the lore of a lot of the species um, lately. Like, there's these jellyfish that, uh, well, I don't know what they're actually called, but they look like jellyfish, and they are, are apparently so polite that they have to take classes on how to deal with the rudeness of the other races. And I love sci-fi with like with personality quirks of the races like that. You know, I'm my husband got me into D Deep Space Nine a long time ago, and that's still my favorite Star Trek series. And I'm w watching through it again, and I'm just like, yeah, this is this game is giving me Deep Space Nine vibes. I'm kind of digging it. So um, hopefully, I'll be able to start Mass Effect too, because that's the one that I'm really looking forward to. And I don't know how I'm going to feel about Mass Effect, Mass Effect 3 since that one's so polarizing, but we'll see. Well, I think the, from what I understand, anyways, the beauty of, of playing that now is that you do have the appended Mass Effect 3 ending, which for the most part, while a little too late, it was well received. So uh, it'll help, I think. It's still not the best you know, like what Bioware should have done from what I understand, because it doesn't really do a great job of factoring in all of the choices you made through the series. Like, you know, people have come to expect from the series, but but it puts a nice little bow tie on it that I think makes it a lot more satisfying than the way it was originally um, presented and what, what drew all the criticism. So I think you're in for a good time. And of course, you need to find a copy of Mass Effect Andromeda so that you can complete the series. <laughs> I've because it, it is most assuredly a, a worthy follow-up, according to everyone. Well, you know, actually, you should play Andromeda first, because that will just give you a better appreciation uh, for the games that came before it. Um... <laughs> Truth be told, I'm probably not going to touch Andromeda, just because by the time I get through this series, a game I'm looking forward to in April is going to be out, but I'm not a lot to talk about, because you guys will kick me off the show. 
but oh, let's just say my. I, I, I think I know what she's talking about, Phil. Let's just say my favorite character of all time was announced recently in that game, and I may have spent $75 on a pre-order for a plushie of him from the uh, Squeenix store, so... That plushie looks really nice. I know, he's so cute! Yeah, I'm really thinking your turn is over now for some reason. I, I don't know why. I feel like cutting out. Feel, yeah, that's it. Yeah, you're cutting out. Oh, oh yeah, totally cutting out. Not because you're talking about a certain game that we may or may not like. Uh, let's see here. Who haven't we picked on yet? Have we picked on Ryan? Did I do Ryan? I can't remember. I've lost track of who I picked. <laughs> no, not yet. Oh, okay, um, Ryan's turn. <laughs> uh, we, we, uh, Matt had already talked about uh, the gaming resolutions we did on the site. And uh, mine was simple. I, I wanted to finish the, the Trails in the Sky series this year. Uh, like Matt, I had played uh, Trails in the Sky first chapter a while ago. I think in 2000, I started second chapter, at, but I was having issues playing it on the Vita. I kind of stopped. And so this year, I wanted to complete the second chapter, the third game, and then I wanted to jump into the Cold Steel, which is to maybe get into the Crossbell games. He's related yet. Not, not certain, but I definitely want to get through the Trails in the Sky and the Cold Steel series. Um, so currently I am playing Trails in the Sky the Third, and I am climbing a tower, and I'm meeting all my old friends again, and we're having fun trying to figure out why we're in this tower, and uh, what is the purpose of all this. So um, that's what I'm playing on the PC right now, and on my PS4, I'm playing The Outer Worlds, which is an interesting game. Um, it's kind of like Fallout in outer space, I guess. Um, I've just started that because I, I beat the Dragon Ball Z Kakarot game, and I wanted to play something on the console while I'm also playing a game on the PC. So if I ever get bored at staring at a screen, I can go on my couch and stare at a bigger screen. That's the way to do it. So, yeah, I'm, in, I'm enjoying uh, the Trails game right now. Uh, it's, you know... It's trails. It's it's got a lot of world building, and everyone has a lot to talk about, and everyone is friends with everybody, and everyone has something to say, and no one ever really dies, and you know the the the, the, the world just keeps on getting bigger and bigger, even though we're in a a tower. <laughs> trails series to me always feels like an anime soap opera. It's like so many opera like there's not a lot of like bad things that happen. Like sometimes something might inconvenience the group, but there's never ever any like sense of like peril, like you know, no one's ever in, in a threat to die. When people, when like the enemies attack, you know, their guns are blazing, but only thing that ever happens is someone might, you know, get knocked out, and and that's it. <laughs> um, little you get to the Cold Steel series. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. I have Cold Steel, so I'm I'm gonna, you know, beat the third game, and then I'm gonna jump into Cold Steel and and see how how that game goes and then i'll be picking up the, the second uh game and the third game uh i'm not sure if i'm gonna get the ps4 version of cold steel 3 or the switch version i'll see see what what the difference is at that time and let's do miss cassandra okay so yeah not too much for the site lately uh there is a feature coming out in the nearish future that i need to really think over more um uh Otherwise, gaming-wise, uh, pretty much the same two games I've been playing since the last backtrack. Uh, 
Fire Emblem Three Houses and Pokemon Shield. Pokemon Home is out, so I'm going to be spending a bit of time getting those boxes back arranged the way I wanted them to be. Uh, other than a living Pokedex, I've got... Yeah, I'm not going to get into it that much. I'm, nobody cares about how I organize my Pokemon, but I have over 1,600 of the things. <laughs> do you organize them by type or by favorite? I, I, it's... Uh, okay, so I guess if you really want to know. So I have my living Pokedex up front. And then after that, I have like the Pokemon that were I, that I either for competition, either for like competitive battling or that I went through my games with my the Pokemon that I really like uh, would be barked into their own boxes. And then I have some separate boxes for good IVs for breeding and other boxes for hidden abilities. And uh, and of course, just whatever random stuff I have in there. I, I think I have a few for like, here's some Pokemon I got in trades that have nicknames I think are amusing. <laughs> I might want to do a box for all my shinies because I've actually gotten more than I thought I did. A lot of them are like promotional stuff, give, like giveaways either online or from GameStop or something. And uh, but yeah, just stuff like that. And I realize that um, I might have to replay either Sun or Ultra Sun if I want a Cosmog and a Cosmoem for my living decks because I still don't have those, and I don't know if we'll be able to get those anytime soon. <laughs> I got lucky with those on a trade. Uh, so, yeah, but those are missing dust. I mean, it's possible that the uh, DLC, the upcoming DLC might have a Cosmog available, but I guess we won't know until later. We won't know until later. Yeah, that's really all that's been going on. <laughs> What's new with you, Mr. Minky? Well, I've been fairly productive for the site lately. I've managed to put up three reviews since we last had me on here. The first of them was for something called Orange Blood. And I shared a few fascinating snippets of the game script. And because we are not on the No Censored podcast this time, I can't really utter these but I, I can solicit comments for everybody here. What do you think of these fascinating stretches of text? It would fit right in in South Park. I would not quite agree. The but language would fit right in with South Park. The tone does not. Really? No, the actual words. The vocabulary. <laughs> anyway. They both curse, yes. <laughs> yes, they do. And it, only this one uses characters that look like they could have come from an RPG maker and on a game that looks like it could have been on the Super Nintendo, maybe. And you, you're armed with guns, you shoot everybody. I can tell you that I had an amazing technical glitch I've never had with a game before where my antivirus software, for whatever freaking reason, took one of the game files and kept quarantining it so that I couldn't play the thing on Steam. <laughs> and I had to 
go back and forth with our boss, Alex, on this. And he finally pointed me, could you be your antivirus is doing something? What the hell is it doing in the quarantine folder? And then I had to specifically make sure that it was exempt from quarantine or else it went right back there three seconds later. And then I finally got to continue playing the game. And I got to an impasse because this is the type of game where you need to learn how to work the combat mechanics. Just know that. You need to know, uh, all right, you've got all of these guns. All of these guns do something. What does this one do? Oh, it, it has a ridiculously large magazine and it has piss poor accuracy. Wow. What, do you really want to hit something with a 20% chance to hit? And You've got a, terror, a tiny clip. So you have to look at all that stuff. And it's all, most of the item descriptions are written in that same, well, it's certainly not faithful to the original language localization, that attempt to make it sound like it's super hip and urban, I guess. Uh, so Orange Blood is a thing. Uh, I, some of the tunes were kind of catchy. I'll give it that. Then I turned in a review for Grimshade. Phil remembers me talking about that. I finally went back to it and attempted to finish it and came up against a sad glitch. I got into the final area. I got all of the keys necessary to go down into the final, final area where there's a final boss and the game glitched. It did not recognize that I was that the item I need to click on in order to insert those keys existed as an interactive object. And I reloaded an earlier save. It still didn't recognize it. And I didn't feel like going back several hours to an even earlier save to see if I could get it to completely circumvent. So I watched the final boss and the ending on YouTube because Alex said, let's just let's just get it out there. <laughs> I'm not particularly proud of that. But when the game itself was the cause of my problems, I don't really feel that bad. Yeah, it's a shame because it looks like a, a very interesting game. Just looking at the screenshots, it has a nice style to it. Yeah, you can tell a lot of work went into it, and I appreciate the attention that was paid. Unfortunately, attention was not paid as much to the localization. It's understandable, but whoever localized it was clearly not enough of uh, familiar enough with the English language to be able to judge. These sentences sound a little strange. They, the word order doesn't quite make sense. So, yeah, you, you will understand what is going on, more or less, but the potential of the language to be fascinating and build the world in a very interesting way has not really been realized. You'll have to do some work. But I can't really come down too hard on a game that manages to incorporate the Wilhelm scream and a museum of artifacts. That was cute. And you have really luck. bad. You have really bad luck with game breaking bugs ruining your playthrough. Yeah, two in a row that had some problems. I don't know what the heck is going on here. Maybe that's why nobody took them before, and Alex was happy to offer the review codes to me. Uh, all right. Oh, and remember, Grimshade came out nine months ago or so. This is after a patch that I saw on the Steam page, which specifically addressed a quest I attempted to complete several times, which leads into a fight. And once you win the fight, it goes to a black screen. The music is still playing the game. I had to forcibly shut down in order to get past that because 
it just cra- it just wouldn't go any further. So last December, a patch was finally issued that corrected this particular quest glitch, but apparently not the one that I found late in the game. Lucky me. <laughs> well, your score fits right in with the uh, Metacritic score right there. It's... Again, I I wish I could be kinder to it because it it clearly has a lot of personality and a lot of time went into it. And then I finally managed to get a review up for South Park, The Fractured But Whole, which you can read right now and you can admire my choice of a featured image, which is, of course, the new kid grinding on some guy in a strip club. <laughs> I, I, heard, As, I heard your review drew a very interesting comment on our Facebook page. I don't have Facebook, so I don't know. No, I don't either. That's why I had somebody <laughs> screenshot it to me. <laughs> So somebody on Facebook made made a comment about, well, good, good the thing to see. I'm paraphrasing here because I don't have it pulled up in front of me, but it was something along the lines of, good to see that RP gamers get those reviews up only a what is it two years later or something around along those lines. Hey, I guess what? Think- we're we, we're uh, volunteers that do this. Yeah, we do it because <laughs> we like to, and if we feel like playing also, a game, if you look at the review. Name it clearly says South Park the Fracture But Whole Review Two. Yep. I believe it was Adrian who gave us the first review, but because he did it at the time of release, he didn't get to mention the two delightful downloadable content expansions. Yeah, exactly. Step one, jerk face. We already did have a review up around the time it came up, but number two, yes, we do a lot of retro reviews, and and we have a podcast dedicated just to old games. <laughs> Go figure. It's it's kind of our shtick. We like role playing games from the way back in right up through yesteryear, and even the modern ones. So that's what we do at RP Gamer. So if I can't do- wait till the uh, comment for this one. Like, hey, backtrack. Finally talking about Earthbound again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're so timely. Uh, and let's I'm see. curious. I, Sorry, I'm curious to see if anybody way. bitches about us going into reruns. <laughs> oh, that's I, true. I haven't heard of it. After all, most of this is people who weren't on the original talks of the episodes getting a fresh take on it. So I, I don't think of it as much of a rerun. Anyway, we uh, talked about the first mother on this one on the last episode. <laughs> And let's see. Oh, yes, I started up another review game that Alex gave me code for, Mistover. I can tell you that it's probably going to be a little bit of a workout for me because it's sort of a blend between a dungeon crawler and a roguelike in that you've got a party, you're going around in a randomly generated dungeon, and you have resources that are depleting with each step you take, and you die if you completely hit over to the bottom at the bottom but there is a really neat feature that i've noticed already that i'll be messing with where in addition to your standard difficulty easy normal hard you get to tweak lots of different aspects within the game you get to choose all right how many skill points do i get for a level up you can very range from one to six per level up well that makes a pretty big difference i'd say you get to tweak whether your your food meter decreases at a certain rate, whether your your luminosity, because if it, as it goes down, you have trouble seeing and the monsters come after you more aggressively, whether that ticks down at a certain rate. There are a bunch of other factors in here that you get to tweak or turn on and off. Do you want to have status effects carry over from battles or stop? Do you want to have unlimited magic resources or do you want them to deplete as the fight goes on? So 
that level of customization for the options I like. Beyond that, I don't know yet. It, roguelikes are not something I delve into much, and even when it's a party and, and you go to a separate battle screen, the whole I have to explore a random dungeon, and why am I doing it? Uh, because I have amnesia, and I need to find out where I came from in a world where monsters existed once and they disappeared into these caves and we just send people out there to explore the caves and maybe find out what the heck happened. That That's your story so far. It's not exactly luminary. <laughs> but that's that's based on about an hour of time, so things could change. And then, of course, I am continuing to play Fallout 4. I haven't oh. beaten the game. <laughs> I, I heard you like that game. Steam tells me you like that game. I wonder why. Yeah, let's see. Let's see. What does Steam here say? Total playtime, 427 hours. That, I feel like pretty soon we can just take Mike's comments from about a year and a half ago with Rainbow Skies and just, like, edit the audio to say Fallout 4 for most of his comments on it. <laughs> I'm 400 hours in. I still haven't beat it. No, I beat Rainbow Skies. There was just much more of the game afterwards. With with okay. Fallout 4, I just haven't gotten to the... I finished the DLC portions, but I haven't gotten to the main conclusion because I just keep getting distracted and wandering off and doing other things. And I know I... This is apparently terrible because if I was ever to play another game like this for review, I would probably get us a review in a, as timely a manner as that Facebook commenter was saying. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> Although I can guarantee you, I am not going to be the one to give us a review of Fallout 76. You may have noticed that our site doesn't have a Fallout 76 review. I can't imagine why. What a pity. And that's everything. Oh, wait. Yes, I did start briefly Bastion on the Vita, and it was kind of interesting, but I haven't had much handheld time lately. Anyway, that's all of mine. You know, Phil, you're the last one. You know, in a way, I feel like that these reviews are a little bit, you know, the retro reviews we do, or, or whatever you want to call them, I feel like they're a little bit more honest, you know, to some degrees, because you got those of us who are going and playing games that we've never played before that came out years ago, or sometimes even decades ago, and so we're not, you know, we're, we're not we're not on the hype train, right? We're not like, oh, it's shiny and it's new, and we're, we're like literally taking a, a critical look at these things. Uh, and telling you what we think as somebody in the year, you know, 2020, that's going back and playing a game that came out in 2010, you know, or whatever. So I think there's uh, there's something to be said for that. But hey, that's just my take. What do I know? I like old games. That's how I feel about retro reviews. I will be curious if anyone ever does churn out a Fallout 76 review for our site. Right. That would be interesting. Oh, that would be hilarious. But don't you? Uh, yeah, right? So... Is that game even finishable? No, uh, we, yeah. we've reviewed MMOs before. You just play a ton of it and say, here, I've, I've gone this far in the game, and that's that qualifies it for a review. Well, speak... We have WoW reviews and WoW expansion reviews in there somewhere. Oh, and see, this is all such a great segue. Uh, so, I've been playing World of Warcraft again. Uh, we should be, uh, I don't even know if we have one for Battle for Azeroth. Do we ever do it? Oh, I should look that up to see if we ever did a review for Battle of Azeroth. But, um, uh, the current, sorry about the bird. The birds decided to come out and squeak. Stop it, bad bird. Podcasting. Anyways, um, am I still, you guys can still hear me, right? Yes. We hear you. Okay. Sometimes the recording likes to stop. So anyways, um, 
yeah, uh, got a got a hair up my butt. I had a friend tell me about all the stuff that's happening with the new newest patch, eight point three, which is the big huge patch that they're gonna have before Shadowlands comes out somewhere way down the road, probably at the end of this year. Um, and it sounded exciting because one of the things he said that that triggered me was rogue like dungeons in World of Warcraft. Like, how exciting is that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and you can solo them, or you can play them with your friends. And there's a risk versus reward mechanic. Uh, there's an insanity meter that kind of works like a time meter, but enemies can inflict extra insanity on you as well. And the deeper you go into the Stormwind or Agrimar, the, the, the nightmare version, it's all Cthulhu-themed, the, uh, the higher your insanity gets. And if you fill up on insanity, then it's game over, and you have lost your progress. So it's risk versus reward, just like any good roguelike. Uh, so that sounds to me very exciting. I like Cthulhu stuff, and they have tons of Cthulhu-themed armor and weapons, eyeballs everywhere, twitching in different directions. I just love that. It's all really good. And then, of course, there's the fox race. Everybody has to have yes. the, Have you seen the fox race? You've seen them. You and I have I, talked I, about I, the fox race. Well, I, I'm leveling a foxy. Yeah, yeah. So you, I talked to you. We, we had a good conversation. Um and so you helped me to understand some of those things that I need to do to move forward. And, and so I'm doing it. And right now my Warlock is 116, almost 117. Uh, I've done all the, the quests that I can do in Volpera land or whatever it's called. And uh, I just, I'm knocking out the quest in other lands so that I can get to the 120 and start doing whatever dailies and world challenges or whatever it is that I can also do to increase my rep because... Uh, there's not a whole lot you can do before 120 aside from knocking out those story quests uh, to get your Volpera up. So work it on that. I'm actually enjoying it. Having a good time. Ran some dungeons. Uh, and, and the questing, I think, is pretty well done. Uh, it's nothing going to be earth-shattering if you didn't like WoW questing in the past. But uh, but I think this is – it's some pretty good stuff, some pretty interesting stories, and I'm enjoying it. Uh, I, I mean, that's a game. That game is, what, 14 years old, 15 years old? Yep. I, oh, actually, no, 15. It was their 15th anniversary this year. 15. So playing a 15-year-old game on one hand. On the other hand, uh, today, Wolson was released. My my wife and I grabbed a copy off of Steam, and we've both been putting some time into it. And it's a, a very, very pretty game. And I say that a little bit hesitatingly because uh, te- technically very pretty. Uh, it has... Bearded Lady game? It's the Bearded Lady game. Yes. Got it. <laughs> So, yeah, first impressions, because we, we both have put maybe about three hours or so into it so far. And, uh, yeah, very it, – so it's an action RPG, Diablo type of looter action RPG. Very – makes a very good uh, – well, I would say first impression until you get to character creation. But, I mean, if you're looking at screenshots or videos – uh, it, it finally looks like like action RPGs have come into the the next generation. Uh, you know, I mean, in this genre, when you're playing games like you know Grim Dawn, Path of Exile, and Diablo three, uh, not to say they don't look good, but they they don't they don't really look you know twenty twenty good. Yeah, you know, compared to other games, uh, there some of them are old, and some of them just had lower expectations because hey, we're just making an action RPG. It's about the gameplay, and that's true. Uh, you get into this one, and it's super pretty. Lots of high-end textures, lighting effects, pretty colors. Uh, and you make a character creation. You, you go to character creation. At first, you're like, oh, wow, I got more choices. I mean, most of these action RPGs just give you Grim Dawn. <laughs> you pick male and female, and that's it. Uh, you know, Diablo 3 or uh, Path of Exile. You, you know, your character is just basically, you know, once you pick a class, you've locked it in. Uh, the Hell, the genders mixed in are, are tied into whatever... Uh, class you pick this game gives you more options 
but there's not that many. I was a little disappointed in that. And then there's the fact that <laughs> making a female character, aside from the fact that there's a glitch in there that you can give her a beard, which is hilarious. Uh, the, 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 the design, like the legs are really super long and the proportions are really, should we say bombastrous? Somebody named, uh, somebody put it in our chat session, but you can, you can join us in our discord chat. Just go to rpgamer.com and click on the community tab. Uh, but anyway, someone did a, a picture of naming their female character. What was it? Uh, all tits and, and legs or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that's totally appropriate, but on, uh, Apple podcast anyways. Uh, yeah, no, it was, it's just, it's just hilarious. Uh, so there's been a, yeah, there's been a couple of glitches, bugs. Uh, there've been some, some launch problems connecting with the online servers. What's a little different about this is you either make an offline character, um, or you can make online characters, but you can't make a character to play offline and then play it online. Uh, you can, I, I, I don't even think you can have an online character and play it offline. It's like these two shall never meet. That was kind of their solution. Of course, you know, those of you who play Diablo know you can only play it online. Path of Exile is only online. Uh, whereas Grim Dawn's a little bit more uh, one of our favorite games that my wife and I like to play. Uh, it, you could you could play a character offline, and then you can connect with your friends and play that same character online. It's not a big deal. So, uh, yeah. So we'll, we'll put some more time into it. And I think on uh, you, we'll, I'll talk uh, I'll talk a little bit more about uh, this and Grim Dawn on a future. Uh, CRPG Club uh, segment details, but that's uh that's pretty much it. I am I mentioned Uto. What do we call it? Underwater Moto or whatever? Romana Underwater Ray Romana. Right. I'm gonna continue. I'm continuing to plug away on on that when I. That's my exercise game. Uh, I'm playing the Steam version. Uh, which if you wonder how that works, I got my laptop plugged into a television with an hdmi cable and a very long controller from xbox controller cord those things are long the pc controller cords and i go up and down on a stepper while i just step up and down while i read this visual novel with a smattering of tactical rpg element so lots and lots of stories so working my- um but anywho we would love to hear from you again go over to rpgamer.com your source for news reviews and home to the best gaming community on the net you can leave your comments uh, on Twitter. Or I'm at JC Servant. Mr. Mickey's at Jume Sin. You can hit us all up at RP Gamer. We'd love to hear from you. And of course, you can leave your comments on the latest podcast. Even if you're listening to the old ones, always leave your comment on the latest podcast that's up there because that's the only comments we check when we start the show. Uh, and we'll be happy to read your comments right here on the air. Uh, but uh, I think we've chit-chatted enough for one evening. I think it's time for Mr. Mickey to put us to Betty Bye. Let's see, can I come up with any other RPGs that were developed primarily by people from other industries? Not offhand. So, this is truly the mother of something. Good night.